When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. One of my great frustrations with the media, especially the news media, is that we we tend to jump on trends. We tend to act like there's only three or four big stories happening in the world and we ignore everything else. See, what I like to do is tell you about the story you're not hearing about, the important stories or the interesting stories that are not part of the big three. Uh, today, I guess the big three would be, obviously, this Roe versus Wade decision, uh, draft decision anyway, the Ohio primary where it looks like J.D. Vance has won uh, the Republican contest, and Mike DeWine has run won the contest for governor, and the ongoing situation in Ukraine with Russia, when the truth of the matter is there are a lot of other important stories that are being totally ignored that in some cases may have similarly consequential long-term effects. Now, we've known for a long time that childhood obesity is a big problem in this country and in a lot of different countries as well. But what we're now seeing is completely alarming. In the U.S., the CDC said that the pandemic-era increase in childhood obesity rates is, and they use that very word, alarming. How alarming? Let me give you a few statistics here. Children and teens gained weight at a more alarming rate during the pandemic, especially those who were already overweight or obese. Now, the CDC did this study, which analyzed more than 430,000 children ages 2 to 19 years old. And it supports essentially the warning by experts who said that this nationwide closure of schools that we began in 2020 and early child care settings reduce the ability for children to have regular physical activity and access to healthy meals. So what happened was kids weren't in gym class. First of all, I want you to understand, childhood obesity was already a problem before the pandemic. And then you take into account that the physical education classes that children had access to, they no longer have access to it. And the two meals that children often get, which in spite of whatever shortcomings they are, They did provide, by and large, a balanced meal. 
Now that's out the door and they're free to stay home, not do anything physical and eat Cheetos all day. This is really frightening. This study is the largest tracking to date on the rate of weight gain in children and teens. The average body mass index increase for children and teens approximately doubled between 2018 and 2020. About 22% of children and teens were obese last August. That is up 19% from a year earlier. Children who were a healthy weight were gaining an average of 5.4 pounds a year last year. That is two pounds more than before the pandemic. Now, hopefully, hopefully now that the children are back in school, this all gets somewhat back to normal. But it's not as if all of a sudden kids were fit as a fiddle before the pandemic. Uh, There was another concerning report, and I think this is back in uh, September, Yeah, this was back in September. There was another concerning report that showed the number of states with high obesity rates nearly doubled in two years. So you've heard a lot of different federal health officials, politicians, others try to make an issue of childhood obesity and try to say what they're going to do to combat childhood obesity. But clearly this has been. Totally ineffective. And I really do think this ought to be a top priority for everybody. The media, public health officials, officials, teachers, physical education and others, school administrators, parents, and yes, even legislators. Now, here is the real problem here. Now, we've known for a while that there's a problem with childhood obesity in this country. And the health issues related to childhood obesity, which often leads to adult obesity, which leads to all sorts of things from diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, you name it, a panoply of long-term health issues which uh, cause people's lives to be cut short or if their lives are not cut short, to at least reduce the quality of these folks' lives, we we are also seeing some warnings by pediatricians that they're equally concerned about the amount of young people with eating disorders. And that problem has also gotten worse during the pandemic. I mean, you think about what's going on now. We are living in the worst of both worlds. I feel like I'm back a week ago where I was saying, how can we be living in a city where people, everyone wants to move out, everyone's getting shot, and yet it still costs a fortune to live here. We're now also in a situation when it comes to public health where children are both obese and they have eating disorders. I mean, you talk about a catch-22. So... Uh, and these, there are some numbers that I won't g- get into now that deal with the number of children that have been admitted to hospitals for complications having to do with eating disorders. And again, this is to me exhibit triple Z as to why if there is a, a comeback of COVID or if this avian bird flu turns out to be something big, 
Priority number one for the country should should be not locking down. We should absolutely not be closing schools. We need to keep these schools open and we need to sim- uh, do whatever we can to approximate normal life for people. Now, the American Academy of Pediatrics in September recommended that because of the pandemic, pediatricians should assess all children for obesity-related risk factors, provide counseling, and screen for patient and family stress, disordered eating, and social detriments of health. Okay, so that's what the pediatricians recommend. My question for you is, we've seen some countries handle this pretty well. Um, Mexico has made some major progress with respect to obesity. And one of the key things they did there was, believe it or not, they used a uh, a tax on sugar. And that tax on sugar did help a great deal. Now we're seeing the same thing going on in England. A new report from England's National Health Department found unprecedented increases in childhood obesity from 2020 to 2021. The steepest increase ever reported. And a lot of people are wondering if American youth is going to be following in that footsteps as well. The steepest increase ever reported. So far, it doesn't look like um, it's as much of an uptick in one year as Great Britain was dealing with. But it's still an increase in childhood obesity rates that the CDC has called, these are their words, alarming. So my twofold question for you is this. At one eight hundred eight four eight WABC, that's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Now that the kids are back in school, now that life's pretty much back to normal, do you think we'll see childhood obesity uh, come down to uh, a normal rate again? That's question one. Number two is, what do you do about this? What do you do about a world where there are dual concerns regarding both? Childhood obesity and eating disorders. Uh, I'll tell you one of the things that I think, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to the story that we did yesterday about children watching videos all day on their on their mobile phones and they're addicted to their screens when I don't know about you. But when I was a child, I mean, that wasn't even a thought that we did have video games, but our primary means of recreation Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen years old was to go outside and play. You play basketball, you play hockey, you play baseball, you play stickball, wiffle ball, football. You would at least get some exercise or just tag as a five year old or a six year old. There are all sorts of different varieties of tag. There's good old fashioned tag, there's freeze tag, all sorts of different types of tag. And I don't I think that spirit is I don't want to say it's lost among this generation of young people because I see kids playing outside in my neighborhood. But I will say it is diminished among the current generation of young people. Additionally, I would also um, I would also add that I think a big part of the problem is not just that children aren't exercising, which I do think is part of the problem. But I think a big part of the problem here is that what's in children's food is making them fat. And what's in adults food is making them fat. Do you ever look at the label of what's in your food? Um, one of the things that you will find in almost every type of food that you have, 
Go, you can go ahead and look through your cabinets now and see if this is true. Is high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup. I'm not going to get into a whole corn syrup discussion now, but there's a wonderful documentary on this. I think it's on Netflix It's called King Corn. And it's really creatively done. In fact, I'm going to try and get the filmmakers of that documentary on. It's a few years old now, but it's still more relevant with these childhood obesity numbers. It's more relevant now than ever. But um, years ago, if you were to go and get something sweet, do you know what would be in it? Sugar. Now, sugar wasn't great for you, but it was nowhere near as detrimental to your health as high fructose corn syrup. Why, ask yourself the question, why is high fructose corn syrup in everything? High fructose corn syrup, and again, I'm not a nutritionist, but high fructose corn syrup, it's almost like um, eating the artificial sweeteners that everybody wants to avoid eating because they're they're so detrimental to your health, at least according to some experts. But, It also makes you fat. It's really a horrible thing for you. So why is it in everything? It's banned in some other countries. Why is it in everything here? The reason it's in everything here is because farmers in this country get paid a boatload of money to grow corn. The government subsidizes corn growth. And that leads to corn grown for ethanol, and it leads to corn grown for high fructose corn syrup. If you watch this documentary, King Corn, um, these guys, it's a really cleverly made documentary, but these guys decide to make some of their own corn and go through the whole process from, you know, growing it to the subsidies. And what they do is they pick an ear of corn after they finish growing it and they take a bite of it. It's almost unedible, almost unedible. You might think, well, why? Why are they growing all this corn if you can't even eat it? Well, it's used for feed for farm animals. It's used for ethanol. And yes, it's used for high fructose corn syrup. And the only way these corn farmers are able to make a profit is because of the subsidies in the, that the government is giving them. So think of how crazy this is. Because if you're a, if you're a um, on the lower socioeconomic end of things, and you don't make a lot of money, and let's face it, one of the unfortunate realities of American life today is that a lot of minorities tend to be in a worse place financially than a lot of other than a lot of whites. So the government is paying to make you sick. With all sorts of lifestyle diseases, high blood pressure, uh, diabetes, everything I mentioned earlier. And then that's on the front end. And then on the back end, the people that get fattest and sickest are the poor. The poor. Because they they can't afford the options of other people, maybe. And so then if they're on Medicaid, which you qualify for if you don't make a lot of money, the government is then paying 
to treat you. So the taxpayers are screwed six ways from Sunday. They get screwed by paying to make people fat and sick to begin with. And then they get paid. uh, They get screwed by paying to treat them on the back end. Does that system make any sense to you? So uh, 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. We have two reports of childhood obesity growing to very concerning levels. One has to do with children in America. One has to do with children in England. My question for you is what do you do about this, especially considering the pediatricians are also warning about eating disorders? 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Mary Beth on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. Thanks, Mary Beth. Um, yes, economic issues do play a part in this. And I, I find it very interesting that when you go into a 7-Eleven store, right now they have on their windows, at least here on Long Island, I, uh, signs announcing that they take, you know, food stamps, EBT cards. And it says to buy healthy food. What is there that's healthy to buy in 7-Eleven? That's one thing. Right. Um, the other thing is, um, I don't think people, families don't eat together dinner anymore around a table. Um, people are very busy. They're not preparing good food at night. So um, it's just become impossible for many people to eat well and to eat together. And when people eat meals together, I think they're healthier. Oh, I would agree. I would agree. Look, I still think uh, high fructose corn syrup is a problem, but that's a great point, Mary Beth. Uh, You're probably less likely to be eating um, Doritos and, uh, you know, and these horrible chips if you're surrounded by a family family dinner. And the family dinner also deals with all sorts of other problems, social problems, problems that are um, not necessarily physical, but um, you know, look, I'm a big advocate of, of family dinners. I just got an email here from a, a doctor who says I'm a liver expert in Texas. And he says they're drowning with obesity and the development of fatty liver and cirrhosis. It's killing them. Who's commenting on this? No one. Um, that's exactly the problem, because I'm not saying the Roe versus Wade discussion is unimportant. It certainly is. I'm not saying the Russia-Ukraine discussion is unimportant. It certainly is. The elections in in Ohio and elsewhere, very important. Uh, The um, North Korea firing a ballistic missile into the sea, very important. Uh, Governor Kathy Hochul picking a new lieutenant governor, Antonio Logato, all very important. But do we need to get 22 hours a day of coverage of this stuff? While our children are eating themselves to death, ah, maybe we do with 20 hours a day of that and give a few minutes an hour on something that is a generational crisis. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Wilford in New Jersey. Hello, Wilford. Hello, Another thing about that high fructose corn syrup that they don't mention, 
it, it stops. You know how when you eat and you had enough, you take that deep breath? Right. Well, that that takes that away. You don't take that deep you're, breath. You're exactly right. You're exactly right, Wilford. And uh, you, you're really underscoring the point that I was trying to make earlier and that I got distracted by my own rant, and I appreciate oh. you making that. But But you're exactly right. When you would eat food with sugar in it, you would fill up. At some point, good old fashioned exactly. sugar. But when you eat food with high fructose corn syrup, there's never a clue that's sent to a cue that's sent to your brain that says, OK, I'm full. Let me stop eating. In fact, just the opposite happens. You end up eating exactly. more even beyond the point where you're full. It's a great point, Wilford. I'm glad you made it. 800-848-WABC. Lou is on Long Island. Hello, Lou. Yes, good evening. You know, I just uh, missed the tail end of your pass caller and alluded to, you know, their additives that make you crave it over and over again. And that is uh, corn syrup does the same thing and processed food. That is uh, that's what I think the obesity problem in children is. Well, I, I agree with you. Look, I mean, there's no doubt that um, that the pandemic exacerbated an already existing oh, problem yeah, sure. of children not getting enough exercise. But I think if you look at how the obesity problem has grown so starkly over the last 20 years, but especially over the last three years, it, uh, so much of it oh. has to do with what children are eating. It's a great point, Lou. Thank you. I, I didn't know if you had another comment there. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I do want to try and get to some other people here. 800-848-9222. Tony is in Queens. Hello, Tony. Yes. Very good coverage on sports, uh, sugar and all. Excellent. I just want to say, I think a lot of it also tends to, we have to learn that we're not, government is not parents. We have to realize the parents are responsible to introduce food to the children at a younger age that can make them better health. Give them food. Give them apples. Give them bananas, and I disagree that my uh, people who are poverty don't have to have to eat heavy and get fattening foods. You can easily get greens, you can get vegetables, you get stuff that's the same price. You go to Costco, you go all places, and people have EBT cards and all, and they need it. All the stuff is packed with all with all frozen, fried. They can easily, easily buy fresh fruit and all. So I, I really I like to put it all in the hands of the parents. We can't keep constantly saying, oh, the government has to control the sugar. The government has to take care of the children. The government, no, it's called parents. But, Tony, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't dispute that. And I'm hoping as a parent to do exactly as you suggest. Two things. One, of course it's possible. Uh, to eat healthy if you don't have a lot of money. And now there are more options than ever than that, that to do that because now there are a lot of um, green markets uh, in places like New York especially that do take EBT cards. So that's a great point, and I'm not trying to let uh, parents that let their uh, children eat ding-dongs all day off the hook. But um, – and I'm just going to lower you, Tony, because your phone is providing a lot of static um, – if you look at study after study, there's been a comprehensive review of 27 studies in 10 countries, and it found that unhealthy food is about $1.50 per day cheaper than healthy, healthy food. Now, if you're feeding a large family, it may it cost less to simply buy from the dollar menu at McDonald's or purchase cheap pre-made frozen dinners. That's a reality of life. And a lot of parents who are struggling are going to vote with their 
uh, with their with their pay with their pocketbook. They have a family of four or five to feed. They're going to go for the cheaper option, which in some cases can be the McDonald's dollar menu. Now, what you said also, Tony, about the government, I don't want government to parent children at all, but I also don't want government poisoning children. And unfortunately, now, in my view, that's what they're doing by subsidizing corn that is never going to be eaten by humans and is only used for animal feed and the production of high fructose corn syrup. They are poisoning children. And even if you don't care about the fact that they're poisoning children with high fructose corn syrup, they are then it's it's a it's also a penny foolish decision and a pound foolish decision, pardon the pun, because then we have to pay on the back end for the increased cost to Medicaid as a result of these these unhealthy diets. 800-848-WABC. And yet, I haven't really heard anybody address, except maybe Mary Beth. How do you deal with this? The dual problems that pediatricians are concerned with. On the one hand, childhood obesity. Record levels through the roof, growing higher than ever. On the other hand, eating disorders. At the same time that we're dealing with childhood obesity, we're dealing with eating disorders. What do you do? 800-848-WABC. Pamela is in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Uh, and so much of it, too, again, is the physical activity. How many beautiful snowfalls did we have this winter? I was out shoveling. Not one child making a snowman. Not one child out there. And I'm like, my goodness. And, you know, that leads to healthy eating also. Like if a family makes a nice Winter meal, you're out there shoveling, you come in and you have a nice meal and um, a hot meal. And that leads to a whole social thing, which encourages good eating. And I've seen people like asking for money in parking lots. And one woman had a, a, a fast food soda and a sandwich. And she's asking me for money for her children. And I said, you know, if you just walk in that grocery store and you can get a whole package of chicken thighs and eat for a week for what you just paid for that meal. Yeah, well, um, yeah that's, a, that's a good point, Pamela. I, I can't, can't disagree with that. Thank you. Now, a, a lot of people, so one person just texted me. I mean, if you want to text me, you can do so at 816-8-Morano. One person just texted me and said, high fructose corn syrup is not bad. I'll email you a link on this. I, I don't buy that. I think high fructose corn syrup is bad for you. Again, I'm not a uh, I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist. Uh, another person commented on my Instagram, and you could find me at Frank Morano. It's inedible, not unedible. Did I say unedible? I guess it is inedible. And if I said unedible, I apologize. And your assessment about overweight and a person's economic status doesn't really hold water because, frankly, you're overweight. Not poor and not a minority. Um, first of all, uh, Babs Jagger, let me say uh, that I'm not saying that only minorities and poor people are overweight. Second of all, uh, a lot of people do count me as a minority. If you look at my hair, a lot of people believe I might have some sort of African ancestry. Third, I don't think I'm as overweight as you've made me out to be. Fourth, 
I think if you look at, um, you know, the causes of of why I might be a little heavier, it doesn't it's not necessarily due to economic reasons. It's due to lifestyle lifestyle. You know, I don't get as much exercise as I would like to be getting or probably should be getting probably, you know, eating a little too much egg salad and cheese and probably drinking a little too much gin. Uh, But those are my choices. And a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, they don't get to make those choices. They're slave to whatever decisions their parents make for them. We'll continue this discussion in just a moment. Uh, 800-848-9222. And today is actually a big day. I'll tell you what it is. Straight ahead. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hey, I want to wish a happy birthday to my friend Steve Scarlato. Steve Scarlato is a great guy. Haven't seen him in a while, uh, but a a great guy nonetheless. And also one of my favorite singers, uh, someone I'm very pleased to know personally, Brielle Von Hugel. It's, uh, It's her birthday as well. I'm looking forward to having her on the radio soon, too. Brielle Von Hugel, she performs every weekend in Atlantic City. Maybe we'll invite her on tomorrow for our uh, Atlantic City corner that we do. Um, because you could see her just about every weekend at the Hard Rock. She performs at Council Oak. She's just terrific. But she was on American Idol, and she's performed everywhere. She's really just great. And uh, I've been meaning to get her on this show. Maybe we'll do that. And you know whose birthday it also is today? You remember when Ron Kuby used to refer to his beloved Marilyn? It is the beloved Marilyn's birthday today. But the reason the reason that today is somewhat of an interesting day in America and the world is because they call today Star Wars Day. May the force be with you. That that of course is Obi-Wan Kenobi and because he says that that way, may the force be with you. Um They've taken to calling today, May 4th, a day to remember Star Wars. So I'm a big Star Wars fan. I'm not an obsessive Star Wars fan. But, I, you know, I've seen all the movies. I really enjoy the movies. I've read a couple of the books. I don't watch, you know, I don't have Disney Plus. And really, I don't have a lot of time to watch additional things now. But um, I... I have not seen Mandalorian, and I was listening to James Golden uh, talk about another show that he watches. I'm not sure if it's out already or if it's coming out, the uh, Boba Fett series. That looks good. But uh, I have not seen many of the Star Wars television shows. I know they had Clone Wars, which was very popular. 
Mandalorian was very popular. I haven't seen those. I've seen all the movies, episodes four, five, and six, more times than I can count. Then the prequels I've seen several times. And then the more recent trilogy, seven, eight, nine. And even the Star Wars stories that are not directly part of that, but sort of, I don't know. I don't know how you describe them. Prequels to the prequels. They ha- I saw the Han Solo movie. That was pretty good. And I saw uh, Rogue One, which I thought was wonderful. Wonderful. But you know what? I had um, my brother-in-law was over on um, Saturday. And before he and my sister-in-law had come to us, they live out on Long Island. They came into Manhattan to watch this special Star Wars, go to this special Star Wars exhibit. And I got talking to James. I said, James, if you were to take someone that's never seen Star Wars before, never seen any Star Wars film before, and my son is similarly situated, never seen a Star Wars movie, obviously, because he's five months old. If you were to take someone that's never seen Star Wars before, would you show him the films in the manner in which they were released? Or would you show him the films in chronological order? Meaning the prequels, Rogue One, Episode 4, 5, 6, and 7, 8, 9. Or do you show them, okay, this is the way audiences saw them. Star Wars, A New Hope, then Empire Strikes Back. I'm not even counting the holiday special. Let's forget that. The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, then the prequels, then the three new films from the trilogy. Or do you do some other way? So if you have a thought about that on um, May the 4th, Star Wars Day, give me a call. 800-848-9222. Hey, uh, this is a real treat. We have two Toms from the Bronx. Uh, I'm going to maybe try and see what, what both of them, get, see if we can put both of them on. Let me begin with the original, uh, the Coca-Cola classic Tom from the Bronx. Hello there, Tom. Yes, uh, Frank. Yes, hey, I'd like yeah, to say yeah. that uh, Mexico had at least 10 different varieties of corn, and they ate corn all these years. In other words, there was no problem. In other words, going way, way back. Uh, and what happened was that along comes genetically engineered corn. Mm. 70% of the corn we eat in this country is genetically engineered. Uh, Incidentally, Mexico, unfortunately, is now down to a few varieties. A lot of the varieties have, I guess, died out or whatever. But... But anyway, genetically engineered corn, 70% is what they grow in this country over here. And it's not a very, it's a very bad corn. Plus other, they get beautiful potatoes, you know, that don't uh, burn. Uh, well, well you, they're genetically engineered too. So I'll, in other words, I'll def- and it's bad for your body. Well, it's bad for the body you, system. Yeah, I'll, I'll just, go ahead. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Hello? Yes, Tom. Yeah, but anyway, when you look at it, in other words, there's uh, there's many reasons why the kids are sick too. Like you say, they they spend time watching the videos, and they spend time eating uh, 
a lot of sugary snacks well, and whatever. Uh, Tom, I in, was a, go ahead. I was a kid who ate sugary snacks, but I survived. I don't know how. Well, uh, we're th- certainly thankful you did, Tom, uh, because uh, you know we're 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 grateful for your contributions in this show. Now, childhood obesity was actually a much bigger problem in Mexico than it was even in the United States for a long time. Uh, and part of the reason for that was the the unhealthy water in so many different parts of Mexico. So unfortunately, what a lot of children were doing was they were guzzling Coca-Cola from morning till night and all the time. So what what they were able to do is, one, they were able to clean up the water in a lot of different parts of Mexico so that children um, had clean water to drink, and two – they also instituted a sugar tax to make Coca-Cola a lot more expensive. Because you think about it, um, Coca-Cola is relatively uh, relatively inexpensive. And it's, um, you know, at least for in Mexico standards. Tom, stay on the line. I'm going to have you do a conversational congress with the Fugazi, Tom, from the Bronx. Hello. Oh, we lost We lost the original Tom. No, I'm here. No, well, we oh, got okay. you, but we lost the original Tom. So we missed our opportunity the uh, to have the two Toms on simultaneously. So be it. What's I'll on your them. mind, Don't Fugazi, worry. Tom? Okay. You know, farmers are paid actually not to grow healthy food. You know, they get subsidized for that. Um, food in lower-income neighborhoods are lower quality. They are. That's been proven. They're lower quality. And doctors, doctors, they get paid to promote processed food. You know, sick, sickness is still big business. Allergy here, stomachache here. You know, and do you know how hard it is to get a, I don't know what they call them, a, veg, a vegetarian doctor? It's hard for them to get a license in this country because the the, the, the medical uh, uh, people, they don't want it. Docs are pushed against promoting healthy food. And uh, it's just big menace. It's, it's big menace. It's this government. You know, it's always, everything is always backwards. Well, thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. I do want to recommend again that documentary, King Corn. You should see it. And so far, nobody has yet weighed in on my question is if you've never seen Star Wars before. First of all, no better day to watch Star Wars than today, May 4th, Star Wars Day. But if you've never seen Star Wars before, is the best way to watch those films to watch them in chronological order or the order in which they were released? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Hey, speaking of farm country, it looks like Tim Ryan won that uh, U.S. Senate uh, primary in Ohio. So that's setting up a very interesting general election matchup where you have J.D. Vance, the fellow that ran, that wrote Hillbilly Elegy, versus uh, Tim Ryan. Now, Tim Ryan, I don't know. Again, I've lost track of where he is on the trade issue. He replaced my favorite congressman, Jim Traficant, and when Traficant got jammed up with some legal issues. But both of them, Tim Ryan and uh, J.D. Vance, have sort of a populist appeal to them. Um, J.D. Vance, more of a center-right populist these days. Tim Ryan, more of a center-left populist these days. So it's going to be interesting to see the two of them both running a populist-style campaign in the general election. Those are a couple of debates that I'll look forward to watching. All right, 800-848-WABC. I want to welcome back uh, Matt Blaze, who was away for a couple of days. Uh, Matt Blaze. 
Welcome back. Uh, I guess after borrowing Curtis's belt, you needed a few days to recover from your drug-induced psychosis. Well, there's a couple of things about those few days. First is when you asked Philippe where I was, he said I was in Florida for a celebration of death. Yeah, that was really weird. It was a celebration of life. Ah, nobody celebrates somebody's death. Well, yeah, I guess depending Hitler. on I guess depending on who <laughs> right. you're talking about here. Yeah. Now, in terms of Curtis and the belt, you know, Curtis can't keep his story straight. That's true. Because first he said, "If you look at me, I haven't had a meal in a month of Sundays." Then when Pete called. And Pete said, well, Curtis, you're kind of trim, and Matt's a little heavier. Then he says, yes, Matt is a chubsy-wubsy. So have I had a month, uh, have I had a meal in a month of Sundays is quite the opposite. It's like I haven't missed a meal in a month of Sundays. And for Curtis's belt, um, I will tell you this. I have now gone through a 28-day program Mm -hmm. in the last two days, (laughs) and I've been 30 years sober. Ah, very nice. Yeah, that's all happened since Monday. Since, well, since hey, Monday. And what did you end up doing with Curtis's belt? Curtis's belt has been repurposed. It is now a chew toy <laughs> for my dogs. And they love it because it reeks of cat. So they love it. That's very funny. I saw Curtis and his wife uh, last night at the uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawks game. I'll tell folks about that a little bit later. Are you a Star Wars fan? I can either see you being a Star Wars fan or not being a Star Wars fan. I'm not sure how, how that plays out. Um, I would say I'm a casual, casual. fan just okay. because it you was the what? biggest thing as as a kid growing I up. I like that. I like the casual fan because it so often seems that there are no more casual Star Wars fans. It seems like there are only obsessive Star Wars fans and people that don't like Star Wars. So it's nice to meet a casual Star Wars fan. Um, and, just- in the same way that you, like I've seen the main movies. I have not yet watched The Mandalorian. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it. Again, I know everyone says it's great. It's just yeah. I don't have – my plate is full. Um, I, again, I, right. I have no no opportunity, no time to add another television show to my viewing diet. Yeah, and, and, and for me, just because I remember when the first movie came out, I would watch the movies in the order that they were released. Interesting. Okay, um, Philippe, what, what's your story when it comes to Star Wars? Um, I love the original trilogy. Hated the second trilogy. Never watched the third trilogy. You didn't watch it. You didn't watch the no, third trilogy. I just trilogy. don't care anymore. I, wow. After the, the bad taste in my mouth in the second trilogy, you know what is no funny? Point. You know what I've noticed with Star Wars fans? They love to hate these films. And you know what? Whenever a new Star Wars movie comes out, the one thing you can be counted on, and I don't blame George Lucas for selling the franchise, taking his one point one billion dollars, and just not wanting to deal with this anymore. Because it seems like the Star Wars fans, when one of these new movies comes out, they run to social media to talk about how terrible it is, how it's not as good as the as whatever movie. So everyone loved the first Star Wars film. Okay, everyone loved it. Then Empire Strikes Back, everyone was blown away by it. Greatest sequel of all time, greatest movie ever made. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe that happened. Then Return of the Jedi, that's when people started hating on the franchise. Return of the Jedi, they were like, oh, those Ewoks are so stupid. We all hate those Ewoks. And meanwhile, George Lucas... He always intended for these movies to be made as basically children's movies. I mean, so it makes sense that these these little Ewoks that run around looking like stuffed animals. 
So that's when it started, Return of the Jedi. So then the next movie that comes out, the, oh, no, 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 before there was another movie coming, it came out, 14 years later, remember they did a re-release of the original trilogy. And people couldn't wait for that. Yeah, they couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. And then they hated that. Yeah. They hated they, that. Oh, they, they changed it. They, they digitized <laughs> it. They put digital effects. There's there's now new animals roaming around. Right. Jar right. Jar, I mean, uh, what's his face? Uh, yeah, did Jabba I, the Hutt yeah, is right. in there, yeah. and, and Han Solo walks over his tail. I, and that was the first uh, time that I realized there was a real problem with Star Wars fans. I'm thinking, you guys haven't had an opportunity to see Star Wars in theaters in, in 14 years why not just enjoy the film? I enjoyed it, seeing it in theaters, and yet they just couldn't hate on this enough. They changed, oh, Han Solo, did he shoot first? Did he not shoot first? The Death Star explodes in a ring now instead of exploding how it used to explode. It's, I mean, that's when I was a little alarmed. Then the prequels come out. Forget about it. People were off the charts apoplectic. Oh, we hate Jar Jar Banks. We don't like this. Um, Jake Lloyd, who plays Anakin Skywalker, he, he's so stiff, they should call him Mannequin Skywalker. Then the next one comes out, they hate that one even more. And then, I, I mean, th- I am yet to see a Star Wars movie that the Star Wars fans actually like. And all I could think when I'd read these reviews from my friends who are ostensibly Star Wars fans, I would, I would think... Why do you still bother going to see it? Clearly, you hate everything that they're releasing now, and yet you can't stop obsessing over it. It reminds me of the people that join our Facebook group. So far, so far, I don't, not, not all of them, but I'd say about 20% of the people that are in our Facebook group. And if you want to join the Facebook group, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. I'd say about 20% of the people in our Facebook group can't stand anything we do on this show, can't stand me or any of the guests that we have on, and yet they listen for four hours a day because they can tell you the most minute, obscure things that I've talked about on this show that they don't like. So maybe that's why I I have a desire to defend Star Wars here because I feel like I am the Star Wars for 20% of our Facebook group. So um, that's that. Now, uh, so if you want to comment on weigh in on that question of should you watch the Star Wars movies in chronological order or the order they were released, I'd love to hear from you. 800-848-9222. Because remember, we had the same debate about The Godfather, because you can watch if you watch The Godfather saga, you have the option of watching Godfather part one and two combined in chronological order with extra stuff thrown in. So is the best thing, if you've never seen The Godfather, it's the same question of Star Wars, is the best thing to do to watch the saga first or to watch Godfather Part 1 and then Godfather Part 2? My stepmother had not seen The Godfather when she started dating my father. So she went over to my Uncle Carmine's house and my Aunt Camille's house and they showed her the saga. That was her first exposure to The Godfather. You sit there for six and a half hours, whatever it is. And you watch the film in chronological order. Now there's a similar debate about how to handle the Star Wars franchise. And it's one that I'd like to solve right here, right now on Star Wars Day. 800-848-9222. Anthony is in Burbank, California. Hello, Anthony. Hello. 
Hello, Frank. Um, well, I was calling to say that I think, well, there's the option of going chronologically starting from one up to six or up to, well, nine, one nine to nine. Now. Yeah. One to nine. There's other people who have suggested skip number one. Don't watch it at all because they don't like it. Then start four, five, two, three, then six. So four, five, two, three, and then six. What is the rationale? Now, I understand skip one. Okay, you don't like it. I get that. What is the rationale behind going four, five, two, three, six? They, the person who proposed it says it focuses more on Luke Skywalker without ruining any of the reveals of uh, plot, major plot elements. Well, that's interesting because I interviewed one Star Wars expert one time who said that what he would recommend to people is you watch um, episode one and then two, skip three, and then watch four, five, go back to three. And this way that big reveal at the end of Empire Strikes Back is preserved and then watch six, seven, eight, nine. And again, I, that leaves out Rogue One, which I think does deserve to be put in there chronologically. Uh, but that's interesting, Anthony. You've been in this position to have to show someone Star Wars? Uh, no, I've never been in that position. Interesting. Okay. And you're a Star Wars fan? Yes, a big Star Wars fan. Now, do, do, what's your most favorite film and what's your least favorite? I'd say I like um, Return of the Jedi the most, and my least favorite one would be, I think, number one. Well, the the uh, Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace. Okay. All right. Not bad, Anthony. Thank you. I See, I am no closer to making a decision for young Carmine here. I think I might go – I don't know. I want him to see the prequels. I might do the strategy that I just described, one, two, four, five, three. Well, I want to see Rogue One, though. I actually, I almost want to see Rogue One. I, I'm not any closer to a decision. I have to be on. Hopefully, I, I have a few years to figure this out. Um, email me if you have thoughts on this anytime between now and the next five years. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at wabcradio.com. When we come back, I'll tell you about uh, my trip to see the Staten Island Ferry Hawks for the first time, along with the rest of the WABC lineup. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Ah, Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Give me the Star Wars.
The great Rick Dees and his cast of idiots uh, singing Disco Duck. Love this song. One of the great disco novelty songs of all time. I'd love to be known for a novelty song. I'm working on a Thanksgiving novelty song. So far, it's not going so well. Uh, but uh, whatever. I'll work on it this weekend. I think if we have a long drive out to Long Island, maybe I'll work on it in the car. Either that or I'll sleep, which is something I don't get enough uh, get to do often enough. Hey, yesterday, last night, um, was the opening, the home opener for the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. Now, this is, was very exciting to me for a few reasons. One, because I took my son to his first baseball game. Two, because the owner of the Ferry Hawks, John Katsimatidis, the majority owner, is also the owner of our radio station. Three, as a huge baseball fan, I love to be at any baseball game. Four, as a Staten Islander, it's so great to see something like this opening and starting in Staten Island. And then lastly, like I'm very much, as much as I'm a, a radio talk show host, much before being a host, when it comes to radio, I'm a fan. I'm almost like a radio groupie. So whenever I go to these like big events, like a, a Republican convention or whatever, I spend all my time on Radio Row meeting the other hosts because I'm a fan of the other hosts. That's why you know I spend three hundred dollars to go to the Talkers Convention because I love to hear the other hosts and be around the other hosts. And um, it was fun to be around all of my colleagues here at WABC. We had a great time. And that we were, they had a couple of suites. And I, so you had sort of uh, both of my worlds coming together the Staten Island political world, which I'm very much a part of, and all of my colleagues at WABC here. Uh, Sid Rosenberg was there. Dominic Carter was there. Rita Cosby was there. Curtis Lewa and his wife were there. Um, I did, uh, Governor Patterson and his current wife, Mary Patterson, the former Mary Sliwa, was there. And um, John and Margot Katsimatidis obviously were there. And it was so much fun. My old boss, Gary Perone, is now the general manager of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. We had a great time. I brought Carmine to his first baseball game. The kid was incredibly well-behaved, even though this game was up past his bedtime and it was a little chilly and a little loud for him. And it was one of those days where almost every prominent Staten Islander seemed to be there. Former Congressman Dan Donovan was there. Borough President Fasella was there. Assemblyman Mike Cusick, the fellow that's running for Cusick's seat now, uh, Vincent Argento, he was there. It was a whole bunch of um, Staten Island community leaders, political leaders there, and it was just so much fun. I will tell you, it was... It, um, I bought my wife, they call it a vodka mule. They have these drinks, and it, it looks to me exactly like a Moscow mule, but they didn't want to call it a Moscow mule, I guess, because it's not fashionable to have anything that's Russian named now. And I bought her one, and somebody knocked over her drink and spilled it all over my son's diaper bag. So I went and bought her another one, and so she didn't drink that one either. Uh, I had to give it away to my friend. So I spent about $35 for vodka mules that no one drank. So, But uh, luckily, the prices are so reasonable for everything from parking to tickets that I didn't mind spending that. And John and Margot were kind enough to 
have us as their guests. Uh, so I didn't have to worry about that. But I'm looking forward to going to a lot of games this season. It was a lot of fun. Hey, uh, a lot more coming up next hour. Until then, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. By the way, if you want to see any photos of uh, Carmine at his first baseball game, you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash fan, or you can uh, go to Instagram at Vision. You know, Andrew Giuliani was there with his baby girl, and they were born about a week apart from one another, and uh, they, they took a nice photo together. So I'm going to post that on Twitter later. Uh, at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. See, what I do is I don't post the same photos to any of my three platforms. So if you want to see all the photos that I post, you have to follow me everywhere. On Twitter, at Frank Morano. On Facebook, at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. And on Instagram, at MoranoVision. M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. Now, I was... I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here because basically what I've done for the totality of my career in talk radio is just observe things and complain about them and sort of pontificate. Uh, It's no great originality to what I'm doing on the radio. As um, Craig and Connecticut will tell you, most of what I do is just ripping off whatever other people do. But I was one of the first people publicly to say that your your phone, your smartphone, is monitoring what you say in order to send you ads on that. Uh, I and then I I remember I was filling in on Mike Gallagher's national show. Um, he's nationally syndicated, one of the most listened to hosts in the whole country. And I said this. And I was deluged with callers from all over the country say, Frank, I can't believe this. You're exactly right. I had this obscure conversation about blank, and all of a sudden, I get ads popping up in my Google, in my Facebook, saying, basically asking me to purchase exactly that. Now, I have said that I think this problem has gotten worse in the era of smart TVs and smart speakers. Smart speakers like um, the Hey Google or the Alexa. I'm sure there's other versions of it as well. And basically, now, Alexa 
is not supposed to be listening to your conversation unless you say, hey, Alexa, enable the 77 WABC skill or Alexa, play William Shatner. My apologies to everybody whose Alexa is now playing William Shatner. But um, it's listening all the time. Now, that's why whenever I talk about nefarious conduct or any conspiracies that I'm a part of or breaking any laws, I unplug my Alexa because I don't need her reporting that to law enforcement. It's the last thing I need. And um, and I've tried saying, Alexa, please stop listening to my conversations. And she plays ignorant. She plays ignorant. Uh, meanwhile, sometimes I'll ask her to play a radio station. She plays the wrong radio station. Sometimes I'll ask her what the temperature is. She gives me the wrong temperature. But the one thing that I'm confident in her ability to do is spy on me. Alexa, please stop spying on the people listening to this show. Now, lo and behold, putting aside the law enforcement trouble with that, because there was also some news that the FBI had no warrant for about 3.4 million people that they were spying on electronically over the course of the last year. Separate discussion. I had that on my list today, but I'm putting that aside for now. A new research report contends that Amazon is using voice data from Echo devices, which is what we call Alexa, to target ads on its platforms and online. Aha! New research report contends Amazon is using voice data from Echo devices to target ads on its platforms and online. The report has received some pushback from Amazon over claims that Amazon has violated its privacy policies with the ads. The researchers titled the report. I'm going to invite these researchers on, by the way. The researchers titled the report, Your Echoes Are Heard, Tracking profiling and ad targeting in the Amazon smart speaker ecosystem. It claims that Amazon and as many as 41 partners in the advertising and tracking services collect Alexa interaction data recorded by Echo smart speakers. The data is then analyzed to determine what users are interested in and to target ads on the Echo and on the web. The researchers at the University of Washington, UC Davis, UC Irvine, and Northeastern University then claim the demand for such data is incredibly high, with 30 times higher bids from advertisers compared to standard ads. Now, by the way, some people might like this. Some people might say, well, yeah, I want to see ads that are relevant to things that I'm interested in, not ads that are just for random stuff that I have no interest in. I still don't like it. I recognize the utility of something like this. I don't like being spied upon by artificial intelligence that I'm paying to have. Now, obviously, the answer there is don't have artificial intelligence in monitoring your conversations. But then, of course, I mean, what am I going to do? Get up and turn on the radio myself? No, I mean, I'll do really enjoying the convenience of being able to say, Alexa, play the other side of midnight. Now, the researchers built an auditing framework measuring online ad data collection, then created fake personas with specific interests to interact with third party Alexa skills and find out what kind of ads they would start to see. 
The personas began seeing relevant ads on the web and in studio ads, which the researchers believed implied not only that Alexa was targeting ads, but that the data was shared with multiple other parties in transcript form, not as raw audio. Do you follow? Is that clear? I think this is fascinating. Amazon is disputing this completely. Uh, They put out a statement saying, we think that the best advertising is tailored to customers' interest, which is why in some cases we will use the actions of customers, whether it's shopping on Amazon or streaming on Amazon Music, to inform the ads we serve. For example, if you ask Alexa to order paper towels or to play a particular song on Amazon Music, the record of that purchase or song play may inform relevant ads shown on Amazon or other sites where Amazon plays ads. Baloney. Baloney. I am calling shenanigans on this. I think they're listening all the time in order to track your data and sell your data. And I don't care what Amazon says to dispute this. I, 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 I have seen too many anecdotal reports of this happening. Your thoughts. How do you feel about your smart speaker spying on you? Or do you buy Amazon's explanation here that they're not doing this? I, for the record, I don't. 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Jim in the live free or die state of New Hampshire. Hello, Jim. Well, Frank, I guess I'm an anecdote, but I listen to you on my Alexa because I can't get a good radio signal up. And I swear I get emails for products based on what? I Google and well, well that that we know Google does do that. We know, but that almost makes sense, right? Because you type a search item into Google, and then um, Google also controls if you have Gmail, they control your email. So it makes sense that you'd then see ads on this. But what Amazon is not acknowledging is that your Alexa is listening all the time, and oh, so oh, I I really believe that's true, Frank. Yeah. Uh, well, well, tell me um, what's been an ad for something that you've gotten based on something that you've said or something that you've listened to. Uh, <laughs> um, condoms. Really? It must have come as a great surprise to your wife, I would think. Yeah, yeah my wife wasn't really pleased. But <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, it is listening. And Every so often, it sits right here on the floor, and every so often, it just, like, turns blue. Yeah, mine so does the I, same thing. It's tracking us, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for listening as well up there in New Hampshire. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Mike is in New Hyde Park. Hello, Mike. Hey, good morning, Frank. Two points, if I may. The Alexa thing. It's perfectly expressed in Tom Cruise's Minority Report. He's trying to evade the authorities, and he's barraged by hundreds of personal advertisements, holographically right in front of him. Yeah, I, I, I no, I mean, I think that's where we are. Look, I don't think anyone disputes that they use the searching that you do online and your online behavior to tailor ads to you. I think what what the dispute is 
is whether or not they're listening to your conversations when they're pretending that you're they're not listening and then sending you ads based on that. I think the evidence is pretty clear, especially after looking at this report, that they are doing that. They are. I agree. And um, like there are no security cameras in department store bathrooms um, with the Star Wars thing, if I may. Please. Uh, I love all that stuff. I'm, and I'm a casual fan like you. I like Star Trek, Space 1999. I go all the way back. But if you strategically you want to approach the chronology or how to become familiar with the genre, I can sum it up in three words. You know, it's not complicated. Get a life. <laughs> well done, Mike, and well delivered. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Pete on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank. I had the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Caspatidis today when I called the James Golden oh, show. Oh, great, great. And yeah, I, no, actually, I, I heard you him. on there. Yeah, and I told them every home opener that I ever went to that I really didn't go to a lot of them. The game, the team always won. So. I was a little reluctant in the beginning because it wasn't moving that great in the beginning, but they pulled it off and they win. And yeah, I you know, you that's, a, that's a great point, and it's something I should have mentioned earlier. The Ferry Hawks were 0-9 on the road. They hadn't won a single game, and then last night at, for the home opener, they won. They came from behind. They were losing one nothing, and they came back and won 4-1. Right, and that field and the stadium looks so great. I mean, what an improvement. What a great job that Mr. Caspatini's has done. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I actually, the food, I, I got hooked on those uh, uh, potato fritters, you know. They were great. So I recommend them to anybody that goes to the I, I didn't. I didn't try those, but I'll put it on my list for the future. Thank you, Pete. Appreciate it. 800-848-WABC. Joseph's in Newburgh. Hello. Uh, good morning, everybody. I got a story for you about Star Wars that you're going to find incredible. Uh, you're also going to find it hard to believe, but I can verify what I'm about to tell you. Uh, I uh, am going to try to use uh, uh, fictitious names uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but here you go. In uh, 1977, I opened up a camera shop in Wappingers Falls, New York. Those people from Wappingers will know uh, the name of the camera shop. I'm not going to say the name. Uh, but I want the people that are involved in this story to call in and verify that I'm not lying. In 1977, they built a part of the scene uh, for Star Wars in Wappingers Falls, New York. And... In, in that time period, they would come into my store. I had an antique camera collection up on the upper shelves, uh, the full length of the entire store on the showcases. And I had a sign that said, not for sale. And they kept on coming in asking me about the flash units up on the top shelf on my Graflex cameras that I was collecting along with old Kodak 8x10s and 4x5s and 5x7 wooden cameras. And they kept asking me, and I kept on saying, you see the sign? It says not for sale. 
but they kept on coming in. They tried different people. They wanted to buy the Graflex flash units, and I didn't want to sell them. Eventually, a man named, I'm going to use his first real name, Kevin, he came in, and I knew him. He was a high school student at the time, and he had something to do with building a set for Star Wars in Wappinger's Falls, New York where my store was. It was in an Imperial Plaza. Uh, uh, now, if anyone's listening, they can verify I'm telling you the truth. Uh, they did buy a Graflex flash units, and to the best of my knowledge, uh, I think they were exposed to the idea on that shelf. Well, upper shelf, it said, not for sale. Uh, but I did sell one flash unit. Uh, to uh, Kevin, and yeah, you know, later uh, Joseph, on I realized uh, you, that uh, that flash unit could have been the original Star Wars uh, flash. And you know what I'm talking about? I, I don't actually. You you lost me. Uh, I um I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure I follow. So you had some antique. You want me to explain further? Uh, do, do you know what the uh, uh, the uh, Star Wars uh, flash? Uh, the flash unit was used for? I don't. Maybe that's what... Mark Vader carried it around on his hip. I see. And you think I he got see. the idea from your store? I think so. Oh. I'm not positive. Uh, but remember, we're talking 1977. So I don't know how long before that they had the idea to use those uh, uh, Graflex flash units with a red button. Uh, but I'm telling you, they got some of them for me. I didn't want to sell them. Not for sale. But I sold one to Kevin. Kevin, if you're listening, please call in and verify the story. I know your last name, but I'm not going to say it on air. All right. Yeah. Well, that's your little uh, piece of Star Wars history there, Joseph. Hey, speaking of uh, galaxies far, far away, yesterday I told you the story about how it appears that um, members of Congress, members of the U.S. Senate specifically, people like Marco Rubio, people like Kirsten Gillibrand, are not at all happy with the Pentagon because they think the Pentagon is not adhering to what they said that they would do on the issue of UAPs, a.k.a. UFOs. So... We're going to talk with Stephen Bassett in just a minute, who is basically, for lack of a better description, probably the leading lobbyist on behalf of UFO disclosure in the whole country. He's been following closely what Congress has been doing, what the Pentagon has been doing, and well, the Pentagon is being so reluctant about handing this information, which they are required to do, why they're so reluctant about handing it over to the U.S. Senate. You're not going to want to miss this conversation. Stephen Bassett, as we enter the Midnight Files straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files.
Midnight in the desert Shooting stars across the sky This magical journey Will take us on a ride Filled with the longing Searching for the truth Will we make it till tomorrow Will the sun shine on you Midnight in the desert And we're listening Ooh, we're listening to you This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, Love, love, love exploring the world of extraterrestrials, the world of space and the like. And I was very interested in this article in Politico that came out a day and a half ago. Headline, the UFO briefings on Capitol Hill have begun. Lawmakers aren't impressed. And in spite of the fact that this is a pretty big story, at least I think it is, and what's contained in it is pretty interesting. And in spite of the fact that even a website like the Drudge Report, which very often sets the tone for the rest of the media, the, the rest of the news media's coverage of this stuff, even though that's the case... We saw very little coverage of this anywhere else because everyone seems to be focused on the primaries, on this leak coming out of the Supreme Court and uh, what's happening with uh, the, um, you know, with the Ukraine-Russia war. I get all that. But this is an important story, and I can't think of a better person to turn to on this than Stephen Bassett. Stephen Bassett is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group and a leading advocate for ending the 65-year government-imposed truth embargo regarding extraterrestrials. Uh, Stephen, thanks so much for joining us again on the radio. Yes, Frank. Good to be with you. Stephen, uh, in a nutshell, for people that haven't heard our prior conversations, what exactly is the Paradigm Research Group? What do you guys do? I set it up in 96 to uh, work to resolve the UAP issue by political means. Uh, In other words, it was a political problem, not a science problem. The ET presence had been proven scientifically or intellectually way before 1996. The problem was the government politically made a decision to embargo this confirmation, this truth from the American people for national security reasons. And unless we solved the political problem, uh, we were just going to go round and round and round indefinitely. And I had no desire to do that. What is the new um, UAP protocol that the that Congress and uh, passed and the president signed as part of the National Defense Authorization Act? By the way, for people that don't know, UAPs is uh, what we now use to refer to what we used to call UFOs. But go ahead. More and more people are using UAP. And the Mm -hmm. reason is that for journalists and politicians and national former national security people like former CIA directors to talk publicly about this issue, UAP, it means exactly the same thing. But it doesn't carry the 70 years of baggage that is accumulated around the term UFO due to the truth embargo the government's imposed. So it's it's a language issue, and it's also a credibility issue. It's just more comfortable to say UAP, and that's, and that's why we're, we're doing that, and, and, and they are using that, and you're seeing it turn up in articles. Look, a lot has happened since 2017. Extraordinary things have taken place, unprecedented, regarding the UAP issue. For those that started just paying attention in 2017 because they saw the New York Times articles, might think that, well, the last four five years is pretty much the way it's been. It's normal. It's not. 
to those of us that have followed the issue for a very long time and know the history going back even before we got involved, uh, what's happening is anything but normal. We're in a whole different place. I like to say we crossed the Rubicon on the issue. So in 2017, when the articles came out of the New York Times, uh, the To the Stars Academy was launched, and ultimately two key people, Louis Elizondo and Christopher Mellon, began working not only the Congress but also vetting witnesses. This issue started moving forward at a very rapid pace with the potential to resolve itself pretty quickly. Um, and that's good. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, history doesn't care. <laughs> History is many things happening all the time, and things can get very interesting, as the Chinese curse has, has often ref been referred to. So in those five years, we've had political chaos. Uh, we've had hyperpartisanship. We've had the worst pandemic in human history. Um, we've had uh, the, the most dangerous war in Europe since 1945, with a clear possibility of uh, launching a nuclear war. And now we have a, a, a massive uh, uh, social issue that just instantly emerged, uh, it emerged today regarding Roe v. Wade. So the UAP issue has lost most of its coverage, it, and I follow it constantly. It's, it's way back down, but it hasn't, hasn't gone away. It's alive and well on the Internet, social media, Facebook, Twitter. It's everywhere. Radio Podcasts, shows like this one, name. too. And radio shows like this. So it's a lot. But in terms of being a heavy focus in the media, no, they're having they're dealing with these other things. I don't blame them. And as for the Congress, by and large, they've had to step back. All right. Members of Congress, because when you've got a war in Ukraine, when you've got people still dying from covid, you can't you've got to be careful how much you want to invest in an issue as controversial as UAP. All right. But nevertheless. There's been things going on. And one of the things that has ensured this is never going to return to where it was is that it got into law. In other words, Chris Mellon uh, and others were successful in convincing uh, by briefing them. I mean, many, many people were briefed on the Hill by Chris Mellon. Witnesses came up and spoke to them. So ultimately, uh, Rubio made a move and put language into a Defense Authorization Act. The next year, Gillibrand, these are senators, put uh, language in a Defense Authorization Act, setting up these these entities at the uh, the DOD and what have you, which were given tasks to report and do this and what have you. There's a, there's a lot there. It's far more than we can discuss. But what I'm trying to say is, is that finally, in all, after all these years since Roswell, starting in 2020, this issue went uh, front, front and political, with high-level political people involved, making statements to the public, with the DOD having to interact, engagements, all kinds of things are happening, which is what we should have had happen in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, or the 80s. But the truth embargo said, no, you can't do that. And so this is an extraordinary time, and the occasional articles that turn up are about how things are going with respect to this process. Now, in terms of the Congress and the Department of Defense working out how they go forward, it's really complicated. All right. There's, now you're talking about the fate of politicians, uh, the fate of political parties, also the careers of high-level people in the Department of Defense. There is a huge amount of baggage attached to this that has to be dealt with. So this is not simple, but yet it is moving forward. All right. Now, 
what's happened just in the last uh, couple of days, and, and again, this is there's been so many days like this, is one, some interviews, uh, Politico interviewed some politicians to get their impressions of the recent report, because part of the uh, uh, the, the legislation that was passed required the uh, entity that was set up within the DOD to uh, give some briefings on a periodic basis to the, to the members of Congress, key members of Congress and on, on certain right, me- members of the Senate Intelligence Committee and members of the Senate Armed Services Committee. And I believe also House and House okay. uh, Intel and Armed Services. And so they did. Well, some of the members thought it was a little lukewarm. Okay. Now, let's examine that for a second. This issue is incredibly complicated and controversial. It's been shunned and embargoed for years. And so in, in another time, any member of Congress, their attitude would be, yeah, fine, drag your feet all you want. No big deal. Yeah, you're doing your thing. I don't get out ahead of this. But that, that isn't where we are now. So what's important here is not what the DOD is not doing that they think they should be doing. What is important is they actually publicly stated that they're not doing enough. And so literally, I mean, if, if you know. The when you say they publicly do, stated, are you talking about the senators or the Pentagon? The members of Congress, right. yes. Okay. The members of Congress, the senators, and also I think uh, some of the uh, House people basically said they're not doing enough. I mean, again, this, this is extraordinary, uh, and it shows where we are now. And so that's what's important. They're literally saying uh, that, look, this issue is not only important, but I'm investing some political capital in it. Uh, I'm bank, ba- banking that this is actually going to help me in terms of future elections and my position here. And when you get politicians in a position where they think that pressing an issue is going to help get them elected, Mike, you're going to see some serious progress. So that that has taken place, and it was reflected in that Politico article. Uh, we've heard some similar things. Uh, Politico, by the way, has a record of being uh, ahead on this issue. They've done a lot of stuff on it. Hell, they've interviewed me several times. I've been in a number of political articles. They, they really have, they have nothing to be uh, anything but be proud of, of how they've covered this issue. So this is important. But let me tell you about something that happened yesterday that's even more important. Mm. All right. Uh, there is a, a, a news website uh, called uh, News Nation. It is uh, it's relatively new, but it seems to be substantially funded. Right, and we've had their we've had their a network too, and we've had uh, one of their anchors, Ashley Banfield, on this program as well. Okay. Yes. So this is this is a substantial entity. It's very much right of center. All right. And interesting enough, the right of center or well right of center news outlets, by and large, have been more aggressive and out in front on this issue than the left of center. In other words, CNN and MSNBC are really dragging behind Fox and News Nation, even the Daily Caller. It, it's 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 interesting why the left is slow on this issue is not clear to me, uh, but, but I'm 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 thinking and watching and may I, I may have come up with some thoughts on that. So anyway, what happened is is that on the show, uh, uh, this is uh, let me see which one is on. It's called, the show is called On Balance and it's with uh, uh, Leland Villard. All right. And so he interviewed yesterday one of the members of Congress that has spoken to this issue, and I'm referring to Tim Burchett. Now, Tim Burchett is a Republican congressman from Tennessee. He's conservative, down-home kind of guy, just like you'd expect from Tennessee, got a classic Tennessee drawl. But he has been in in this issue early. Uh, and, and remember, things started out in the Senate. 
it was like it was like the big shots. Rubio and Gillibrand were getting a lot of heavy action, and he's down there in the house along with Gallego, by the way. Uh, and they're thinking, gee, you know, why why are you guys getting all the action here? Why are you getting all the attention? I mean, we're going to speak up too. And so Ruben Gallego spoke up, and so did Tim Burchett. Now he's interviewed yesterday. And I can't – I wish I had the means to just play it so you could listen to it. But if you go to newsnationnow.com and you go to the shows and you can then check out uh, On Balance, and it's like four back, and you can go see it it's from yesterday, and you can watch the interview. There's this key – it starts at 158. And what happens is that is that Villard says to him – he, he asked the question that, Hell, I was asking people 25 years ago, to, but here it is on a major show, and, and, and he's asking this question. He says, look, he says, it seems to me there's only one of three possibilities. Either this technology is ours, right, advanced technology that has not been divulged to public, and they're testing it, and it's being seen, or it belongs to a foreign nation, and they're out there testing it or using it, and we're picking it up, or it is from – a, 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 a intelligence or uh, entities outside of the United States. It, it needs to be one of those three. And Burchett responds it, and he says, what do you think? And Burchett says, number three. So, now, let me be clear. At that moment, Tim Burchett went right to the point. I say point, to the front, up front, right? He got out in front of this issue. Uh, ahead of Gallego, ahead of uh, Gillibrand, and ahead of uh, Rubio. Uh, he, to my knowledge, he is the only sitting member of Congress, going as back as far as you want to go, that has gone that far. Not Stephen Schiff, not Hillary Clinton, uh, not Gallego or Rubin or Gillibrand, uh, or Reagan, Obama. Nope, none have gone that far. He said, matter-of-factly, I believe it is extraterrestrial. So I invite people to watch that interview. Then he goes on, and he gets asked some other questions, and he starts talking about how the government has been running a cover-up. He uses the term cover-up. Now, as, as you may know, I don't like the term cover-up. I came up with a term called truth embargo back about 2001, which I think is more appropriate and it's more accurate than cover-up. But in any event, he's referring to that. He says – he says the government is part of the cover-up, and they're not do- going to disclose it to us because they don't trust us with uh, having enough sense to diagnose. It's very frustrating. This all comes out of the heading of you don't have a right to know, you don't have a need to know, and you can't handle the truth. But what's frightening about this, Stephen, is that yeah. you know essentially if what uh, the congressman is saying there, along with the staffers of people like Senator Rubio and Senator Gillibrand in this Politico article – the Pentagon is essentially taking it uh, upon themselves to ignore the will of Congress, you know, which by extension is the will of the American voters, and uh, ignore a law that was signed by the president by not revealing the information that they're required to reveal under the law to Congress. No, no, that, that's not what's happening. I mean, I, I understand people are jumping to that conclusion. That's not what's happening. What's happening is is the Pentagon was tasked to do certain things, and they had been working on it. They were given until June, I think, to formally complete the office. It's not June yet, and to report back, all right? And so what they're basically saying is they're, they're, not, they're not maybe moving as fast as they would like, and they're maybe not being as comprehensive as they would like. 
But it's not like they're ignoring that law or taking matters in their own hands. No, there is a a, a, a tug of war going on here, a little tug of war. There's nothing unusual about that. I mean, Congress has these kinds of tug of wars with the Pentagon uh, and, and some of the intelligence agencies all the time. Uh, but so it, I wouldn't get upset about it or worry. But the point that I, I, I must get across, and I never fail to <laughs> whenever I'm doing an interview, is that if you, in order to properly assess this dynamic, this, okay, this is what we want, okay, we're doing this and whatever, and maybe going a little slow, in order to properly understand that, there's something you have to get. Rock, as they used to say back in the 60s. The Pentagon, meaning there are many people in the Pentagon that know exactly what this phenomenon is and have known what this phenomenon is for 75 years. The national security structure knew about an extraterrestrial presence without any reasonable doubt at all at Roswell. They had a crashed vehicle, non-humans in it, non-human technology, and they then took that away and began the process of deeply classifying and bargaining this issue. So the Pentagon, the national, and that doesn't mean every single person working at the Pentagon or throughout the national security state knows this, but believe me, enough know. So they already know it's real. The problem they face is not, oh, wow, we've got to get stuff together and start doing some research and find out what this is. No, that is not their problem at all. Their problem is, okay, the embargo that has been imposed is, is ending. Uh, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be complicated. Uh, it's not going to be easy. There are all kinds of political considerations here. There's other things going on in the world as well, which makes it a little more difficult to move, uh, how would you say, aggressively on this. And I get that. I mean, it's hard to blame them. Uh, it's not their fault that the political chaos, the pandemic and everything else that's happened since things started getting underway in 1718, that, uh, that gee, we can't move fast. This, that it would be difficult to do this issue if we had optimal conditions, but we don't. And so they're, they're kind of pacing it. You know, they, they're not, they can't simply... It, it, they can't simply go to the Congress and suddenly say, uh, yeah, yeah, here's all the classified programs. Here's where the bodies are. Here's where crash vehicles are, because that stuff is massively classified. And unless it's declassified, uh, they can't do that. Now, the president can declassify it. And the intelligence committees have some declassification capability. But the intelligence committee has not declassified. If, if, if what, what would really shake things up was if the intelligence committee were to pass a resolution and or a directive uh, to the DOD demanding that uh, several dozen USAP programs, un, uh, unacknowledged special access programs, be declassified and presented to them or be presented to them under classification, that would all hell would break loose. But they haven't done that. Because, you see, there are people in Congress that know there's an ET presence, right? They've known it probably since the day they ran for office. This is an embargo issue, and everything that happens has to operate within that embargo. In other words, everybody has to play a certain game, put on a certain face, say, say or not say certain things. This has been going on for decades, and it's, and it's poison, and it's toxic, and it needs to win. That's why I do what I do, and others of my colleagues do the same. So. That's how you have to look at this. You can't just take it matter of fact. 
In other words, it's a classic case of we know that they know the ET, and they know that we know that they know, and we know that they know that we know that they know. I mean, it's nuts, but that's the way it is. And so where we're headed for is enough develops where it will be comfortable for not simply passing uh, some, some legislation, but in fact what the ultimate goal is, is that Gillibrand, Rubio, some of the committee and the, the Armed Service Committee in the House simply call hearings. They said we're going to hold hearings, we're bringing witnesses in. There's plenty of witnesses ready to testify. Almost all of them, if not all of them, will be military. That's the next step. That is the next logical step. Uh, there's no way that the public, and I'm certainly not going to put up playing footsie back and forth between the Intel Committee and the, and the DOD as they sort of move here and move there and whatever. That's all show. What we have to have is the witnesses, particularly the nuclear witnesses, testifying in front of the Senate Intel Committee, Senate Armed Services Committee. Once that gets underway, then all bets are off. Then you're going to see politicians saying things like what Burchette said yesterday on uh, on uh, News uh, Nation. With, uh, yeah. yeah, News Nation. So, I mean, so if it wasn't for the extraordinary things happening in the world, and I tell you, I'm impressed. I mean, I, I, I sat and watched to the Cuban Missile Crisis on the TV every day after school for 13 days. I, I was a college student during the Vietnam War, which followed me for the next 10 years. Uh, obviously, I, I was in Washington, D.C. when the 911 attacks took. I mean, I've, I've been through all this shit. This yeah, is, be careful this is on the radio. That. I mean, yeah. it, it, I'm sorry. It, it's beyond that. Um, and I get the problems that they're facing. Uh how do we pursue an issue like this when these other profound things are happening? And the only answer is you just hang in there, you keep the issue alive, and the Internet will certainly help with that, and you wait for calmer waters. So I'm still quite impressed with what's happening. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled when I see something like Burchett's interview. There's going to be more things like that. But I recognize that uh, I need to kind of do my work in the background and try to make some progress. But uh, until some extraordinary things get resolved here, one way or the other, um, the real action is not going to begin. Uh, we're talking with Stephen Bassett, Bass, Bass, uh, Stephen Bassett. Do you say Bassett or Bassett? It's like the dog, Bassett. Bassett, okay, like the hound. Uh, he's with the Paradigm Research Group. You can check out their website, paradigmresearchgroup.com. Stephen, we do have some... Um, skeptics in our audience listening, and they may not so accept which you take as a given, which is that there's people in the Pentagon, more than just one or two, but people, uh, numerous people at the Pentagon that are aware that there have been interactions with extraterrestrials going back to Roswell. What evidence mm -hmm. would you point to, to the skeptics in our audience, that that is indeed the case, that the Pentagon is aware of the fact that we have had interactions with extraterrestrials? Without going through all of the kind of evidence that, that, that addresses that, which is substantial, uh, there have been hundreds of books written about uh, this issue and its connection to uh, our national security structures. But to be honest with you, if you want to make it simple, and if somebody says, look, how can I get from A to B as quickly as possible? Look, you, you, there's, there's one book I recommend the most, and that is Witness to Roswell, 
which was the penultimate work of Don Schmidt and Thomas Carey. They had done other work, there have been other books, and then, and then they finally put this one together, The Witness to Roswell. And they've got two out, the, the original one, and then there's an expanded version. They added some stuff. And what is in this book is they interviewed, ultimately, over the years, they ended up interviewing hundreds of people related to the Roswell event. Many of them that were there, first-hand witnesses, and then over the years, as they died off, they interviewed their family, both civilian and military people, hundreds of witnesses, carefully putting all of that together to show what happened back then. And it is, as far as I'm concerned, a lock-solid confirmation of exactly what it was. Now, there's plenty of other things that uh, that have been uh, come out and other evidence and docs which point to the fact that Roswell was, in fact, what it is. But witness to Roswell, to me, is case closed. So if someone were to read that book, as I have, and if they want to read a few more, they might, just for the hell of it, just to flesh things out. And they came to the conclusion that I came to long ago, that Roswell was exactly what Jesse Marcel said it was. Mm. It was a crash vehicle, not of human origin, with, with non-human bodies in it. That's all you need. If the government had that in 1947, and quite a few Air Force people were, saw it, were aware of it, then you had people at the Pentagon that were of it. You had, you had a panel set up by, by Truman that was dealing with it. The idea that, that that fundamental knowledge did not transfer forward in time so that officials within various agencies and so forth were aware of this and informed of this as programs were being developed is, of course, absurd. I mean, do people think they buried the craft, buried the bodies and said, let's never speak of this again? Of course not. So that alone guarantees that, that there has been an awareness within our government for the last 75 years. And look, there's plenty of other evidence that points to points to that awareness, not to mention the fact that some people within the government have flat out told some of my colleagues, including including me. that Yeah, there's an extraterrestrial presence. Stephen, there, we seem to be in an era in American politics these days where Democrats and Republicans can't even seem to agree on what day of the week it is. And what's so striking to me about the Politico article and other things that we've seen from current, like, uh, you know, current members yeah. of Congress like Burkett and previous members of Congress like uh, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, is that the movement towards greater disclosure or at least greater exploration of what the Pentagon knows seems to be bipartisan. You see re- prominent Republican senators like uh, Rubio and prominent Democratic senators like Gillibrand all essentially, at least on this issue, saying the same thing. Why do you think when at a time when we're in such a polarized political environment, this issue of UAP disclosure seems to be bringing prominent politicians of both parties together? It's it's actually a simple as the, the, the fundamental nature of the subject. It's like, say, talking about relativistic physics. Relativistic physics has enormous implications for our world. So does quantum mechanics, by that way. And, and uh, learning how to get around relativistic uh, physics in order to be able to travel from star to star is also very profound. But does anybody think that's partisan? I mean, where's the, where's the Republican Democratic uh, right. take on that? Physics is physics. This is basically transcends politics. 
they're, they're either here or they're not here, right? And if they are, we have to deal with it. And if there's been an embargo, that embargo has been carried forward over many administrations, Democrat and Republican. So it is essentially a nonpartisan issue. Uh, and, uh, and there are plenty of those kinds of issues that our government deals with that most people would point to and say that that's nonpartisan. We don't fight over that. And they turn up from time to time for votes in the Congress and they get very nice, uh, you know, nice, nice, uh, uh, bipartisan outcomes. And this brings, but what's different about this issue is how important it is. It's massively important. Okay. So one of the, one of, I think the the reasons why the disclosure process is, is, is got to succeed and got to get more prominent and move forward and, and, and get resolution, meaning disclosure itself, capital T, confirmation for the president, is that it, it could be one way that we could mm. move out of this hyper-partisan. Absolutely. That's my hope. Situation, which has brought the country to a standstill. That's exactly my hope uh, on this issue. Stephen, we're going to have to leave it there. As always, a fascinating conversation. want to encourage everybody to uh, check out the work you're doing. Uh, they can go to ParadigmResearchGroup.org. Uh, it's ParadigmResearchGroup.org. Stephen Bassett, yes. thanks so much for the time this morning. Always a pleasure. Friend. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion... You can give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. Isn't that interesting that the one thing that might bring us out of this hyper, hyper-partisan doom loop might be extraterrestrials? Isn't that wild? This is The Other Side of Midnight. You want to comment, call in as you see fit. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I'm going to take your calls in just a moment. 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. You know, yesterday was a busy day for me. That's why this song really does speak to me. I've been trying to stay away from caffeine because uh, when I had a sore throat a couple of weeks ago, maybe maybe now it's a month ago, they told me it was most likely acid reflux. And so rather than take medication, which a lot of people suggested, I chose to just change my lifestyle. I was eating a lot of citrus. I was drinking, uh, consuming a lot of caffeine, eating some foods that were uh, conducive to GERD or heartburn or acid reflux, whatever you want to call it. So I just said, let me cut all those out and see if I can avoid taking medication. My view is if you can, through lifestyle changes... And, you know, you know if you're really making them or not. Through lifestyle changes, make the changes necessary to avoid taking medication, then you should do that. And, again, I'm not a doctor. Don't take any medical advice from me. Also not a lawyer, uh, as Molly would remind you if she were here. But, I, um, I, you know, medications have all sorts of side effects, even if they're over the counter. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with it. I'd rather just make the changes. So I stopped consuming caffeine. 
which when you're on in these hours is very tough. But yesterday was one of those days where um, the last, really the last four days, I haven't gotten very much sleep. So I said, you know what? I said to Dominic before, I'm having a cup of coffee today. I don't care, you know, if I have to deal with a little acid reflux a day or two later. I'm having a cup of coffee and uh, so far, <laughs> be it as it is. So before the game yesterday, before the Ferryhawks game, I went to the dentist. Had a great experience at the dentist. But um, I got complimented on not only my gums, but my teeth. I believe the precise verbiage from Angela, my dental hygienist, was, you have beautiful teeth. Now, usually she says, you have beautiful gums. Today, the compliment was added to my teeth itself, which was nice to hear. Um, But I got to tell you, you know, one of the things that struck me yesterday, my dentist is a very nice lady. But one of the things that struck me yesterday is that the dental hygienist seems like they do almost all the work. They do the cleaning. They do the examining. I didn't have any x-rays taken, but when they, when they, when I do have them taken, they take the x-rays. They took the photos of my teeth yesterday. They did a whole thing. So I would say my, my visit was about 40 minutes. I would say 30, Four of those minutes, no exaggeration, were spent with the de- de- dental hygienist and just five minutes with the de- with the dentist. The dentist comes in, and I'm sure the dentist earns a lot more money than the dental hygienist, but the dentist comes in, she pokes around, she asks the same question the dental hygienist does, hey, uh, are there any teeth that are bothering you? Uh, and then she pokes around to the very same teeth that were just examined thoroughly by the dental hygienist. Okay, see you later. See you in six months. Here's your toothbrush. Let me see a picture of the baby. I have to think that maybe it reminds me almost of the controversy in some quarters regarding anesthesiologists versus nurse anesthetists. I know a lot of nurse anesthetists that say they do the same job that the anesthesiologists are doing. I kind of feel that way of the of the dental hygienist. I realize that if you're talking about something like a root canal, which I've never had done, or uh, filling a cavity, that maybe it's a different ball game. But I really feel like the dentists are getting away with something here. You know, again, I'm not taking anything away from the fine work that Matt Blaze or Philippe do. But if Matt Blaze and Philippe were not here tomorrow... This show would sound almost exactly as it does now, only with fewer Rita Cosby drops thrown in. That would be the only discernible difference. Blah, blah, blah. In, blah, blah, blah. Unless, of course, Avery is, is call screening, then there's no telling what might transpire. Blah, blah, blah. Because blah, blah, blah. he and Curtis are in this conspiracy to, to sabotage me. Uh, unlike most of what I say on the show, I think that that actually might be kind of true. But um, now... I, I, if my dental hygienist wasn't a, wasn't there on my next visit, I think I'd have a very different trip to the dentist. I'd be curious to hear from any of the dentists or the dental hygienists in there. Am I right? Are the dental hygienists doing all the work? 800-848-9222. Those of you that are holding, I will get to you after the top of the hour. Until then, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Tomorrow, everybody, this is the other side of midnight. Well, where are the dentists? Where are the dentists? And look, I am no Jerry Seinfeld. I am no anti-dentite. I'm a big supporter of both Tim Watley, played by Brian Cranston, and the guy that Robert Wagner plays on that in that particular episode. So I am not anti-dentist. Not an anti-dentite. However, I think the dental hygienists do all the work, or at least the vast majority of it. And I think the dentists cash the big checks. That's my take. While I'm slaying sacred cows and making sacred steaks out of those sacred cows, let me bring up one other thing. This might be even more controversial than aliens and dental hygienists combined. I received a call Friday afternoon, last Friday afternoon when I was asleep, from my friend Brendan. I call him back when I wake up an hour or so later. And after 30, 40 seconds of making small talk, he says, look, can you do me a favor? Now, he lives in my neighborhood a couple of blocks away, walking distance. He says, can you do me a favor? They pick up my garbage on Saturday morning. At some point tomorrow, can you swing by my house and bring in my garbage pails? He was out of town for a wedding. Um, can you swing by my house and bring in my garbage pail so they're not standing out there in the street? I say because I'm because it seems like a relatively easy task that shouldn't take more than forty seconds. I say sure, fine, got it. And because I can't say no to anybody anyway, why not? So the next day comes around, and I'm, you know, it, it's tough just snapping and getting into gear. When you have a five-month-old, I'm not trying to play the Carmine card here. By the way, big shout-out to Hank Papora for sending Carmine his first baseball cards um, last week. That was great. But, you know, it's tough. It's not as if you can just, you know, walk over there and bring the garbage pails in. So around 11.45, 12 o'clock, he sends me an SMS text message. It's a screen grab from his mobile phone showing me what he sees on his ring camera. And he sends me a photo of the outside of his house, even though he's not there. And he sends me the garbage pails out there in the street. And he just sends the comment whenever you get a chance. And all I'm thinking of is, you know, I'm doing this guy a favor And basically, this is his way of telling me, hurry it up. Jesus, Frank. So, okay. I go there a little while later, bring in the garbage pails, mission solved. Then, you know, I have a lot of friends in the neighborhood, and my wife and I are walking around. We stop at another friend's house, my friend Vinny. And I'm explaining, he knows this person, Brendan, and how neurotic he can be with this kind of thing. And Vinny just starts laughing about how crazy that is that he felt the need to send me a follow-up reminder text the next day (laughs) after I already told him that I would bring in the garbage bills. So basically we would talk, we talk about would you ever do that? Would he ever do that to me? And he says, no, here's why. I don't use garbage pails. Huh? 
What do you mean you don't use garbage pails? It says, I put my trash in garbage bags right out on the curb. And then when it comes, the garbage, the garbage, the sanitation folks take it and I don't have to worry about it again. I said, huh, come to think of it. I do that with my recyclables. I put my newspapers and my cans and bottles that I'm not bringing back for deposit. I put them in a clear plastic bag and it is nice not to have to bring back the a bin for the recycling. And I said, huh. So you just put trash bags out there. I said, I've done that. I've seen that happen when my landscaper comes and he cuts the grass. We just put the bags of the garbage bags out there filled with grass. Hmm. And I said to him, why doesn't everyone do that? He turns to me and says, I have no idea. And so I'm wondering... Should I start doing that? Not using garbage pails anymore and just putting garbage bags out there on the street. Now, I guess there's concerns about animals. Maybe if there's inclement weather, there's concerns about the garbage bags absorbing water or something like that. But I think for the most part, I'm strongly thinking of converting to a system of just putting garbage bags out there. So I'd love to hear from you, especially any of the sanitation engineers in our audience. I almost think maybe the sanitation folks would prefer it because they get to just toss the garbage bags into the garbage truck instead of simply instead of lifting up this garbage pail first and dumping out the garbage bags into the garbage truck. What say you? What do you think? Does that make sense? Why or why not? 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Seven open lines if you want to jump on board. Rob in Yonkers has been waiting very patiently. Hello, Rob. Frank, good morning. Morning. That was a fascinating conversation you had with Mr. Bassett. You got to bring him back on as soon as possible. Uh, my question is: uh, once again, the government can't be trusted. Number two, would the ETs get involved and prevent a nuclear war if Putin started pressing buttons? That, that's what I would like to know. You know, obviously, I have no way of of answering that question. First of all, thank you for your compliments on the interview. Second, you know, I have no way of answering that question, but other callers have brought that up with Nick Pope, um, who's a journalist that covers this stuff as well. And um, he has said there have been a number of these sightings of uh, UAPs near missile silos or nuclear missile facilities. But I don't think we should be relying personally. I don't think we should be relying on extraterrestrials, which... Some people doubt whether they exist or not. I don't think we should be relying on extraterrestrials to avoid a nuclear war. I think we should work on this planet through diplomacy or whatever other means to avoid a nuclear war. But it's a great question, Rob. And I think what we'll do, and I appreciate your enthusiasm for Mr. Bassett. Thank you. 
Uh, I think what we'll do is maybe we'll replay that if you missed any portion of that interview on Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. when we play the best of the other side of midnight. Uh, that's this Saturday, 4 p.m. Maybe we'll replay that interview with Stephen Bassett. All right. Uh, but back to my garbage question. Why are we using garbage pails? Can you do what my friend Vinny does and just put the garbage bags out on the curb, in front of the curb? 800-848-9222. Joe is actually in a garbage truck. Now, Joe, are you just joyriding in a garbage truck or are you actually a sanitation worker? I'm a, I'm a private sanitation worker. Ah, private. Okay, okay, I can deal. Talk to me. Listen to me. If you put the garbage bags out on the street, the animals are going to rip it up. It's just going to be more of a pain in the butt to do the, garb- to do the job. But- and it's going to cause... And you're going to wind up getting tickets anyway. What, what, if there's a mess, the sanitation will come by and give you a ticket. But what if I put it put like, look, you know, usually the what if I put it out right before the right before the folks come right before the sanitation folks come that that won't necessarily leave enough time for the animals to get into those bags, would it? I don't know. Like most of the time people put it out before the night before right, or whatever right. and most of the time the animals will rip it up anyway you know what i'm saying right okay so, so the reason I mean, it's going to be double work for you if the bags are ripped because right. then you're gonna to have to clean up afterwards you know what i mean so the reason to use garbage pails instead of garbage instead right. of garbage bags is to avoid animals the animals have a tougher time getting into the garbage pails and sometimes the bags are flimsy you rip you grab a bag you toss it to the truck, it goes all over. The, people don't tie the bags up. Right. Well, I'm, t- I, I'm talking about using, you know, really heavy-duty bags, bags that could take uh, take a licking and keep on ticking. Well, you might do that, but not everybody else is going to. Right. You know? Okay. But, but let's say, not to make this myopic here, but let's, right. let's stick with my situation for a second, Joe. What if I oh, get wow. these heavy-duty bags... That you know, you know the type, real industrial strength right. bags where incredible, the Incredible Hulk can't rip them open. If I use those bags, are we okay? I mean, yeah, but the animals are still going to get. They, listen, the raccoons and everything—they rip up everything. They don't care. And then you got the birds. It's just a, a headache. What it is is that you keep it contained. It's to me, it's more needed to dump a pail and put the pail back on the corner or on the curb, as opposed to. Sometimes having the problem of the bags ripping this, it's more work for me, and it's more work for you if you got to clean it up right. in the morning. Well, that's sure. That that's true. That's true. Okay. Well, that's something to consider. Thank you, Joe. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Storm and Norman is in Brooklyn. Hello, Norman. Yeah. Hi, Frank. Um, I've never used garbage pails. Um, the animals generally can see, you know, we got lots of raccoons and creatures and cats and all that stuff. If you follow the following procedure, you get good quality garbage bags. You don't go cheapo on that. You don't get the dollar ones. You get like the hefty kind. Okay. And make sure when you put the stuff in there that you tie a full knot. The entire mm. neck of that garbage bag has to be tied off. Because if you use the ties and there's a little bit of space there, those animals are going to smell it and they're going to tear it apart. And that's it, pretty much. I Listen, I, I uh, 
you know, uh, it is rare when they tear stuff apart. It does happen. Usually they, they just bore in there and I'll find a couple of chicken bones, uh, you know, after the garbage men come and take away the bag. Like, but it, it's rare. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I've never used the garbage can. So, and neither do, do a lot of my neighbors. Well, here, so, so that's interesting. You do the same thing my friend Vinny does. All right. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to try this. I am going to try this and see how it works out. I like the idea of this. 800-848-9222. Now, we do have some less sturdy garbage bags. Maybe we'll use those first, go through that process first, and then stock up on these heavy-duty bags, which we have some of those already. But um, now the way we do it is we keep the regular, I don't know, kitchen garbage bags in our garbage pail in the kitchen, and then when that fills up, I'll throw it into the garbage pail in the garage, and then every Sunday and every Thursday I'll wheel it out to the front of the of the house. But I'm wondering if there's another way because you know more than one occasion the following has happened. I'll come home around six thirty in the morning, and they won't have taken the garbage yet, so I leave my garbage pail out there, obviously, and then I'll wake up around. One thirty, and maybe two thirty, three o'clock. Even some days, if my wife is very generous and letting my, me sleep, and they'll have come between six thirty a.m. and three p.m., and then I'm not leaving the house some days until nine thirty, ten o'clock, and then my wife will give me a hard time because that garbage pail is out there, not because I'm being lazy, but because I haven't thought to go to the front of the house and bring it in because I haven't left the house. Yeah, I'm busy working on the show, busy looking after young Carmine. Um, I really think this garbage bag solution or this garbage bag only alternative could be a solution to this. And if I could find one less reason to get my wife annoyed with me, I think this might be a worthwhile endeavor. What do you think? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Tom is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tom. Good morning, Frank. That interview was fantastic, by the way. Thank I you. Hope I'm around. I'm hoping I'm around Saturday to watch it. Uh, about the garbage bags, though, that's individual. I mean, you know your ways, and you're going to put it out just before they get there. I think that's that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But like you had just said, you mentioned that uh, if they they don't pick up right away, and and your bags mm-hmm. are left out there a long time, that could be an issue. Um, I do like the fact that you don't have to put out the garbage bag because the garbage can sometimes on a windy day, you know, you get blown across the right. street, you lose the covers. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, yeah, that's the concern. But, um, you know, just the garbage bag, if they don't, if, if, and, and it's true, it's individual. If you start doing it and everybody starts doing it and they use the cheaper bags, that's a good potential mess problem for the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Um, so I could be setting an example for my neighbors, and if they emulate me in a way that's not as thorough as what I'm doing, then it could cause a problem for everybody. That's definitely true. Interesting. Uh, that in- I got to say, though, that interview was really – I mean, I woke up late, unfortunately. I didn't get to watch, listen to the whole thing. But, man, I hope I'm around Saturday to listen to it. That was fantastic. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Tom. If you want to um, – I don't know if you have email, but if you want us to email you a link to that interview uh, after the show, email me and I'll send you back a link. 
Sure, great. Thank great. you very much. And uh, my email is frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Thanks for listening, Tom. Appreciate it. See, I'm glad I'm glad people are into that Stephen Bassett um, interview. I, I appreciate that. If you want to make your feedback heard, uh, just join the Facebook group, uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. Just search M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Tommy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Hey, what's up, Frank? Hey. Great show. Thank you. Uh, well, I'll just to let you know, I work private sanitation, and it's all garbage to me. Everything goes in a black bag in front of the house, heavy-duty contractor bag, no garbage pails, so the amateurs that work for the city don't get to throw them all over the place. Well, so you think the private sanitation are better and more accomplished sanitation professionals than oh, the— Oh, wait, wait. Come on, Frank. Really? Well, no, they, educate they don't pick me. We pick up here. more than 11 tons a night. We pick up 30, 40 tons a night. You you tell me who's more accomplished. <laughs> well, but are the benefits and pay better for the public sanitation folks? Oh, without a doubt, the benefits and pay are better, but they're still amateurs. So why would... Half of them can't even drive trucks. Why would you choose... Now, the ones that went from private sanitation to the city, that's a different story. Gotcha. Those guys are professionals. Gotcha. Why would you choose to stick with private sanitation rather than go with the extra money of public well, sanitation? Because I drive a roll-off, and I'm not picking up garbage no more off the street. I see. I see. Okay. That's, I like it. Roll-off is, roll is a seniority job with the city. Roll-off. So educate us about that. Roll-off. You know, they got the, the big giant compactors behind right, the Right, 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 right. Got the it. Hospitals. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. yeah. I've seen those. Okay. I got it. Oh, that makes sense. Thank like, you. Just Oh, one more thing, Frank. Yeah. If, if, if Paul, Paul, if you're listening, get back get to work. Get back to work. Absolutely. Uh, truer words never spoken. Neil on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. You know, Frank, I had to interrupt eating a big bowl of beefaroni to give you the answer to this question. And the answer is very simple. Call the guy who asked you to get the cans and have him bring the cans back every night for you. <laughs> That's very good. You know, I use him for other favors, so I'm not going to use that every uh, a, a twice a week uh, a favor on that when I, I can easily bring it in myself. Neil, a couple quick questions. One. Um, should you really be eating beefaroni at three o'clock in the morning? I feel like that's going to lead to uh, gastrointestinal issues. I was only joking, Frank. I'm not I see. Beefaroni. I see. I'm Fair it's a San Francisco I, I, I treat. Would, I, I would like to. I would like to add that if you're going to do recycling, Frank, blue bags are for your bottles and cans, and clear bags are for your paper and cardboard. Yeah, I use the clear bags. That's what I use. But you were saying you, you were using clear bags for your bottles and cans. Yeah. It should be a blue bag. Are you sure about that? Yep. 100% Frank. Well, 100%. look, again, it's immaterial because most of the cans and bottles I bring to the grocer to redeem for their deposit anyway. But that's that's good to know. Thank you, Neil. 800-848-WABC-JR is in Brooklyn. Hello, JR. Hey, good morning. How are you? Listen, um, two points. Number one, if you leave just bags out, the animals are going to get through them right away. Okay. Right away. You're going to have literal trash on the floor instead of bags of trash, and you're going to have triple, quadruple the cleanup. Mm. The sanitation men are not going to sit there picking it up off the floor. Yeah, um, well, that's so what that's the prior caller back. was warning about as well. Right, but also for humans as well that dig through your garbage, you're going to have the same result. Um, off top, well, on topic, but off topic, 
always make sure that if you do have garbage bags, I mean garbage cans rather, drill holes in the bottom of them. Why? Well, so, so, so that the rain doesn't gather, especially when it's, it's cold, so it doesn't freeze, right? Well, no, also because it makes it a lot lighter for your local sanitation man to pick up. Because there's it no water. It's a lot for a garbage yeah. man to crack from right. frozen water. Right. These guys are lifted an extra 20 pounds because of you, and, they, and they'll remember it. Yeah, no, I, I actually have done that, actually. I, all my garbage pails do have holes in them. Um, that was some early advice that I got on that front. Thank you, Jr. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Joe is in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, may the fourth be with you. Friday. Amen. With you as well, always. They sell at Lowe's and Home Depot these garbage bags that are mint flavored. They throw off a mint smell that the animals do not like. Oh, and they don't. Oh, yeah. And I've used it, and it works. But I do like you. I'll wait until I know the garbage train coming at a certain time, and I throw the bags out there. It's just so much simpler. Oh, so so now, well, I haven't done this yet, but I'm thinking of starting. Thank you, Joe. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in just a minute. You're welcome to comment on other issues that we've covered other than garbage. Um, Although, as uh, Christopher Moltisanti said on The Sopranos, Garbage is our bread and butter. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, six open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. side of midnight that's uh, lady marmalade um if you want to comment on uh, anything we're talking about you're welcome to join me hey um you know uh, the, gerald ford usually is not regarded as a great president uh and you can understand why right but um he said one thing and i believe it was in a debate with jimmy carter in 1976 but it might have been under other circumstances that I really feel should cause him to be held in higher esteem than he generally is held. Now, that was, Gerald Ford said, the three-martini lunch is the epitome of American efficiency. Nowhere else can you get an earful, a bellyful, and a snootful. 
And I've always tried to go along with that. And I try to have these days. I don't really have lunch because uh, I'm asleep at lunchtime. But when I was having lunch, I would try to have as many three martini lunches as possible. I am a martini drinker. If uh, you've been out to, to dinner or drinks with me, especially during the spring and the summer, my go-to drink is a Bombay Sapphire Martini straight up with a twist. Now, by the way, if you're not much of a martini person, that's the way you order a martini. You say what kind of liquor you want, meaning gin or vodka, and if you have a brand preference, uh, give me a Stoli Martini, right? Then you say whether you want it straight up or on the rocks, and then you say whether you want it with olives or a twist. So you might say, give me a Stoli Martini on the rocks with olives. Uh, so I'm a... Bombay Sapphire Martini straight up with a twist. That is my go-to drink for six or seven months out of the year. Um, during the winter months and the fall, I go with darker liquors. I'll go with uh, usually just a, a straight bourbon or a neat bourbon, rather. Or sometimes if I'm middling between the winter months and the summer months, then I'll go with a Negroni, Bombay Sapphire Negroni. But I was very pleased to see this article today that shows martinis are making a comeback the martini which has considered has been considered an iconic new york adult beverage is apparently making a comeback so according to brian van flandern he might also be a good guest on this show let me write him down according to brian van flandern who's been regarded as America's top mixologist by the fruit by the food network there are a few ingredients fueling the moment martinis are now having now it's interesting when i would go out about what year is it 2022 when i would go out about 20 years ago everyone was drinking martinis it was martinis it was cosmos or anything that they would serve in a cocktail glass and call a martini. So, I mean, and and in some cases that would be drinks that had very little resemblance to a martini except the glass. They would say, oh, yeah, give me an apple martini. Now, if you try an apple martini, it tastes nothing like a gin or a vodka martini. But years ago, 15, 20 years ago, it was all uh, dirty martinis, Apple martinis, lychee martinis, you name it. You name it. Martini, martini, martini. And then something very interesting happened over the course of the last 10 years. We saw a movement away from martinis and away from beer, which was very popular 20 years ago, more towards old-fashioned drinks. Yes, including the old-fashioned. We saw a movement towards spirits, darker spirits, uh, things like Manhattans, things like old fashions, things like bourbon neat. You know, it's funny. And I don't know necessarily why I started drinking whiskeys, but I did start maybe about 10 years ago. Before that, I, I would, people would say, Oh, yeah, you got to try this McAllen 18. You got to try this Johnny Walker Blue. And I would say, No, don't waste it on me. I won't appreciate it enough to pay the extra money. Uh, don't, don't, I don't want it. Give it to somebody who will appreciate it. Now, what I wouldn't give for a glass of Johnny Walker Blue. But according to Brian Flandern, not, this is what's driving the martini craze in New York. 
not only are cocktails in general coming back into fashion through shows like Mad Men, but here's what's interesting. You're seeing all this content on social media like TikTok and YouTube, but you're also seeing that these martinis taste phenomenal. At the Penrose, and this is, uh, I'm reading from an article on Channel 5's website. At the Penrose on the Upper East Side, you can order a traditional martini or one with a signature twist like the pickle martini. I've had a pickle martini, not crazy about it. You know, the only time I got really wacky with martini ingredients was I was in Las Vegas and I was having martinis with Oscar Goodman, the former mayor and the current first man there, who we're overdue to have back on this show, by the way. Uh, I'm not sure whether we should have it on this show or the Mafia podcast. Maybe we'll do both. But he has a restaurant out there, and he has this the Oscar martini. He has it with jalapenos. So whenever I'd have martinis with him, just to kind of go along with the moment, I will have it with jalapenos. But I wasn't crazy about the pickle martini. I tried it last Easter. wasn't crazy about it. So according to Van Flandern, the key to a great-tasting cocktail is – you shouldn't wince. And a great, well-balanced martini is oily, it's creamy, and it's absolutely delicious. He says, if you're new to martinis, try starting with vodka. I don't agree with that, by the way. Uh, as the original martinis were 50% gin and 50% vermouth, which can be very bitter if not stored properly. Uh, first of all, I never do. 50% vermouth. If I'm making a martini for myself or a friend, uh, unless they specify otherwise that they want it dirty or they want it this, what I'll do is while I'm chilling the glass, I'll, I'll put the free, I'll put the glass, the martini glass in my freezer for a few minutes to chill and I'll fill it with ice so it gets even colder and then I'll throw the vermouth in the glass, just fill the glass with vermouth while it's um, while it's chilling, and then I'll either you know shake or stir the the Bombay Sapphire Gin to chill it, and then I'll dump the vermouth out of the glass along with the ice and fill it with gin, and then put either the olives or the lemon in there. That's the way I do it. I know technically it's an in-and-out martini. Otherwise, they have too much vermouth in them. Otherwise, you know, if you're not going to do that, I, I give it like a, a whisper of vermouth. Just teardrops, teardrops. Just enough to offset the taste so it's not just pure gin. That's my style. But I'd be curious um, as to what you think is responsible for the comeback of the martini. What do you think it's all about, Alfie? 800-848-WABC. Grub Street has an article. Wellness is dead. Long live the martini. I watch these kids hammering martinis and I'm like, good Lord. That's by Emily Sunberg. Now, she has a lot of interesting observations about why martinis are uh, about why martini uh, about how martinis are making such a comeback but not necessarily a lot of observations or a lot of analysis as to why they're making a comeback. So if you have a thought as to why the martini is making a comeback, give me a call. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Last year, there were a whole bunch of articles written 
about how specifically the espresso martini was making a comeback. Hollywood Reporter did a, an article at the on New Year's Eve last year looking back on the espresso martini's comeback year. Yahoo Finance three weeks ago. Headline, espresso martinis seeing a real resurgence. That's according to uh, a CEO of a, of a liquor company. So I'm curious as to what you think is the reason for this. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Is it YouTube? Is it TikTok? Is it something else? I am, by the way, as you know, on a one-man mission to ha- to bring back terrestrial radio. And when I say terrestrial radio, I don't mean this kind of programming, you listening to it on a smartphone or something else. I want to go out in the streets and see radios, radios, and more radios. And I I think the key to that, as I've said before, is getting millennials and Generation Zers to embrace terrestrial radios and to um, – maybe they're going to have to start posting about it on TikTok. We've got to find – you know, my friend Jill Flipper, Flipper, who used to produce the Bernie and Sid show, she's a big – um, TikTok social media influencer, and she no-showed my son's christening on Sunday, last minute, as my wife and I just both predicted that she would. So I feel like she owes me one. I'm going to ask, I'm going to use my chit to cash in by getting her to do some TikTok videos singing the praises TikTok. of terrestrial radio. TikTok. We'll see. 800 What's responsible for the martini comeback? Rick in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's just because it's a good drink and it's being re, uh, not invented, but re, uh, ex- what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? It's being found out again. You know, I mean, after 20 years of this, uh, new generation drinking all the fruity juice drinks and all that, once they try something like gin or real booze, they go, wow, this is why they were, you know, why it became famous in the beginning. But you once told me about the vermouth, that uh, Churchill's method was to fill a bottle of olives up with vermouth. Yes. And then the amount of vermouth on the in or on the olives was just enough. That's right. I saw, I saw in Hawaiian Eye, you know, the old show Hawaiian Eye. I, I do. saw them the other day making martinis. And the guy had an atomizer, you know, that you spray uh, women spray perfume on. Right. With. He was spraying vermouth into the martinis with that. And I said, that's brilliant. It's like well, misting it. Yeah, I know? used to hang out. I, I used to hang out at a few bars that did that same thing. Inclu- oh, you're kidding. Inc- yeah, including one of my favorite bars, the Empire Room. It closed, unfortunately, but it was like an old-fashioned kind of supper club, speakeasy kind of place. It was a great joint. And they would do that there. They would use the, the atomizer to spray the vermouth into drinks there. Well, let me ask you something, because I usually drink Bombay. Me too. Is, is Bombay Sapphire much better than Bombay? Um, no, but it is It is slightly better in my drink, in my uh, estimation. The difference is, two, as if I remember, this is from memory, I can look this up, but right. if I remember correctly, the key difference between Bombay and Bombay Sapphire is, is that Bombay is infused with eight herbs or botanicals, and then the Bombay Sapphire is infused with an additional two 
uh, herbs and botanicals. So oh, that how you get a little more flavor in that blue bottle because of the two additional herbs and botanicals. But right. um, that same brand, that same company, also I, – I don't know if they still make it. I think they do. They were also putting out a um, something called Bombay Sapphire East – which had a slightly lower alcohol content than the Bombay Sapphire, and it had two additional herbs and botanicals. So uh, from the Bombay to the Bombay Sapphire East was a very noticeable flavor difference. It was a very slight flavor difference from either the Bombay to the Bombay Sapphire or the Bombay Sapphire to the Bombay Sapphire East. But uh, one day, maybe maybe for New Year's Eve, maybe we'll do a taste test of the different types oh, of Bombay sounds, gin. That, that, sounds, that, that sounds great. How about... I have a bottle of Bowles gin. It's a famous actor gave me. I couldn't afford this. Have you ever had that? I, I have had it, and it's good. I, I like it. My preference still runs towards the Bombay Sapphire. Okay, okay. I just wanted to know. You know, I was just, I was just, just curious. There's also a number three London gin that an English guy gave me. He said, "This is the Martini. This is what you is known for the best martinis in England." I, and it's a, it's a bottle that has a key, actually, like in the bottle. Wow. Uh, well, that sounds pretty cool. I, I would try yeah. that. I'll be honest. The the only gin that I really enjoy, Rick, is Bombay Sapphire. Uh, I until I started drinking Bombay Sapphire, which I guess was about sixteen years ago, I was a vodka drinker, and I still like vodka. Uh, and if Bombay Sapphire is not available, I'll get vodka. My favorite vodka is the Stoli Elite, but there are some other good types of vodka as well, Russian Standard, and some others, Patinka. But um, uh, I, about 16 years ago, I started drinking Bombay Sapphire, and now I'll, Bombay Sapphire is my go-to. If they don't have Bombay Sapphire, I'll go with Bombay. If they don't have that, I'll go with vodka because I just prefer. I find Bombay Sapphire so much better than all the. I to, well, I don't want to say better or worse. So much more to my tastes than the other types of gin. I got to try that. Yeah. Well, let me know what you think. Now, now I want to have a martini at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so do I. Know? Believe me. That, yeah. At least you don't have to be on the air. You can go out and get a martini. But bars <laughs> are still open for another 20 minutes, Rick. Thanks. 800-848-9222. Billy is on Long Island City or in Long Island City. Hello, Billy. Hey, Frank. I haven't bartended in a lot of years, but, you know, I, I worked in Vegas. But I, 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 my theory with the martini is that everything old becomes new again. Mm. Like, even with the the mojito, I remember years ago, I was, oh, God, I used to mix it. But uh, the mojito was a new drink, but it really wasn't. That was a famous drink with the mob guys in, in the casinos in, in Cuba before Castro came along. And the other thing, I don't watch TV. I never watch TV in my life. But you mentioned Mad Men, and I noticed people, I remember even years ago at the Cosmopolitan, every every girl, everybody saw Sex in the City. I never saw the show. Right. But every everybody was drinking those because of a TV show. And I guess the TV, and I want to say real quick, I admire what you said about radio. As far as everything all becomes new again, I wish you could do that with radio. I'm trying. Ra I'm trying, Billy. Talk radio is the cool. I, but I was saying it with a bunch of young people on the Upper East Side uh, two weeks ago at, at a Studio 54 bar. You should, I, you, should, you should check out this place. The guy that owns it was the head of security at Studio 54. And it's it's like all the memorabilia and everything. What's the name the of it? What's the name of it? Oh, um, Ethel's on Second uh, Avenue between 84th and 85th. I will uh, see. Uh, you know, I don't know when I'm going to be up that way again, but I'll check it out. I'll try and check it out. Yeah, it, it, the guy used to be the head of security, bit, but he he owns it. But anyway, you know Oscar Goodman? Yeah, yeah. When are you going to? I tell you, when I was in Vegas, that guy. You know, he was the.
Boy, uh, you know, I got out there at the tail end. They already busted all those guys from. The, this was years before they made the movie Casino. But I was I was there out there at the, the tail end. I was in between the mob and the, when the corporate took over, with we started building all the the, the uh, big casinos that became all corporate. I was like in the, in between both of those times. But that guy, you know, I I would love to hear him on the radio. Yeah, well, I've had him on uh, several times before. And uh, like I said, I'll invite him back uh, again soon. Billy, uh, thank you very much for the call. So Billy's theory, if I understand it, is as simple as everything old becomes new again. I'm not so sure, right? I mean, does that mean you think we're going to see a comeback for the Gin Ricky? I, I don't know. I don't know. Or the sidecar? I don't know. I, I feel like there's more to it. Or the bee's knees. Remember when that was a big drink? The Mary Pickford or the good old-fashioned highball. You ever go to a bar and hear anyone order a highball anymore? I don't. I don't. Does everything new become, everything old become new again? I don't know. I don't know. Carol is in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hey there. I love uh, Bombay Sapphire. I think it's great. But I'm actually a brandy drinker. Oh, really? I'm uh, I'm not yeah. surprised. Uh, Paul Masson and eat sometimes E&J, but I prefer Paul Masson. Um, and I also wanted to mention something about the garbage. I never had a problem with garbage. I used to put out the black bags, and they used to take them. They they used to come early. And um, recycling, I never had a problem with that either. They came and they picked it up early. Well, that's good to know, Carol. I'm seriously thinking of experimenting with this. I'm going to give it a shot and we'll see what happens. All right, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, We'll take your calls in just a minute. 800-848-WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Destroyers, I drink alone. I prefer to drink with other people, personally. You know, I'm always reminded of um, that scene in the great William Shatner film, Free Enterprise, when um, two of the main characters see Shatner at a bar, and they're shocked to see him. They're big Shatner fans. And they say, well, what are you doing here? Well, you could drink... Um, uh, what are you doing here drinking? And he says, well, if you drink home, if you drink home alone, that's called alcoholism. I've always had that uh, in the back of my brain whenever I think about having a drink at home alone, which is pretty rare. So anyway, um, 
couple of things. One, uh, we have a little bit of information that is just coming across right now. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents breaking news. Reports are emerging that the comedian Dave Chappelle was attacked while performing stand-up at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles last night, just a few hours ago, as part of the Netflix is a joke festival. So towards the end of the show, footage being shared on social media shows a person running onto the stage and tackling the comedian to the ground. The attacker was reportedly apprehended by personnel at the event with Chappelle, later telling the audience that he stomped the man. BuzzFeed News reporter Brianna Sachs tweeted that the attacker, quote, got his ass kicked by at least 10 people before he was put in an ambulance by the LAPD and the LAFD. In a clip from the audience shared on social media, Chappelle appeared to joke, quote, it was a trans man. The comedian was heavily criticized recently for his trans jokes on his Netflix special, which prompted a staff walkout back late last year. We talked about it at the time. There's no information about the alleged attacker's identity yet. Uh, Brianna Sachs of uh, BuzzFeed said, quote, the show was just ending when the man hopped onto stage and ran at Chappelle, form form tackling him to the ground. The comedian had literally just said he now has more security because of the uproar from his jokes about the trans community. In another clip from the event following the alleged attack, Chappelle appears to thank actor Jamie Foxx. Shout out to Jamie Foxx, by the way, Chappelle can be heard saying in a clip posted uh, on social media. Whenever you're in trouble, Jamie Foxx will show up in a sheriff's hat. (laughs) Chappelle then went on to say that he wasn't sure if the attack was part of the show, saying, I don't know if that was part of the show or I grabbed the back of that uh, N-word head. I guess that's I, – I, I don't know if he's trying to use the word that got I'm in trouble and the article that I'm reading is ble- bleeping it out. His hair was spongy, absorbent. Fox then thanks Chappelle for the show and b- discusses what a great time he had and promises nothing is going to stop him. Chappelle then discusses the alleged attacker further and says he stomped the man in cell. Doing this for 35 years, I just stomped an N-word backstage. I've always wanted to do that. So there you have it. Um, so the reason I'm bringing this up, aside from the fact that it's breaking news, a couple of things. One, do you think this is a copycat incident of what happened with Will Smith at the Academy Awards? Will Smith, of course, and I said I was done talking about it, but if it's causing other comedians to now be assaulted, I think it's worth bringing up again. Uh, after that Will Smith incident where he smacked Chris Rock, On stage, I'm wondering, does this somehow give, especially the unbalanced people that are seen comedians, does it in their brain give them license, since Will Smith wasn't charged, in the same city that this happened in, does this give hecklers the license, or so they perceive, 
to go and smack a comedian if they don't like their joke or if they're offended by their joke. If so, that's a dangerous new world we're living in. 800-848-9222. Because I'm... Look, if you're this guy that smacked or that uh, assaulted Dave Chappelle, isn't your defense to the public and to the court? Well, look, I saw Will Smith do it in this same city and he didn't get charged. I thought the same thing would happen to me. I thought this was okay now. If that's the case... I may have a different view of that decision not to charge Will Smith with a crime. I mean, Chris Rock had made the decision not to press charges. At the time, I I don't remember if I said it or if I just thought it, I thought that was the right thing to do because, you know, who needs to carry on this incident further for anybody's sake? But if that decision by Chris Rock is leading to people assaulting comedians in California and elsewhere, then... That could have been a big mistake for Chris Rock. Not for him, but for the next guy. Uh, incidentally, my brother-in-law is a, is a police officer in uh, Los Angeles. He said Chris Rock was not that nice to the cops out there in, uh, in L.A. when he was backstage there. So take that for what it's worth. Now, um, so that's issue one. 800-848-9222. The other issue is I'm not sure if Dave Chappelle is joking when he says that this was a trans man, is he getting assaulted now physically because of his jokes about the trans community? What say you? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Paul is in Queens. Hello, Paul. Hey, Frank. It's Paul from Queens. Um, I think that the uh, Chris Rock thing was a work where they both were uh, kind of in cahoots with one another. But um, since you're an old-time wrestling fan, there was a uh, situation where Triple H was attacked. No, uh, Stone Cold was attacked by a, um, a fan, and Triple H, like, stomped him out. So uh, I think it's kind of good that it happened to Dave Chappelle to defend himself. Not saying that it's good that it happened. It shouldn't have happened. But uh, maybe it'll sort of precedent to the fans that you can't attack the stage. Well, let's hope so, right? I mean, because if we're now in an era where every comedian needs to worry about getting attacked... I think it's going to have a chilling effect on the kind of comedy we see in this country, which has already been chilled out because of political correctness. 100%. So, uh, Frank, on another note, God bless your son. And uh, I got three boys of my own. It's the best thing uh, in your life will be uh, the experiences you have with your son, my friend. Uh, well, that's awfully nice, Paul. I appreciate that. Uh, have a good night, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. 800-848-WABC. It's uh, 800-848-9222. Hey, you know, uh, speaking of my son, this Sunday is going to be my um, my wife's first Mother's Day. So I'm kind of trying to figure out what we should do that's kind of special. I'm sure I'll get some flowers on behalf of my son and me for her. Uh, and you still have to get flowers. At least I have to get something for my mom, my mother-in-law, and my stepmother. And I'm wondering, she said, my wife Rachel said she wanted to maybe have a picnic in the park. So I think that's what we're going to do. I'm wondering if there's anything else that's expected of me. Or or my son, who's only five months old, and he can't walk or crawl yet. So he's heavily dependent upon me for Mother's Day-related assistance. So let me know either via phone or via email at frank.moreno at wabcradio.com if there's anything else that's expected of me 
on uh, on this front. And I'll tell you, here's the other thing that irks me. We had a fellow, I don't want to name him at this point, but we had a fellow that came on this show a couple of times talking about the situation with Russia and Ukraine, and he was great. I thought he was one of the most um, knowledgeable people on the Russia-Ukraine situation. I found myself agreeing with much of what I what he said, and I thought he made a very good case for the dovish position, meaning we should not arm the Ukrainians, we should look for a diplomatic end to this. And I, I, I've been wanting to have a debate on the Russia-Ukraine situation where we can respectfully hear from both sides. So uh, I watch Richard Bay's podcast. Uh, well, so I asked this fella, I'm not going to tell his name, but I asked this fella, will you come on and participate in the debate one day next week? He says, yes, you've been so respectful with me. Um, you know, I'll be happy to do that. So I, I, I said, any specific day work better than any other? No, any day you want. Great. So then I've been watching Richard Bay's podcast, and Richard Bay advocates a much more hawkish point of view on Russia as it relates to Ukraine. So I said, this will be great. I'll have Richard Bay on, and I'll have this other fellow on. So I asked Richard if he'll come on. Yes, he will. And then I asked this other fellow who had already agreed to come on, and then he goes on and looks at some of the things that Richard Bay says, and now he doesn't want to come on with Richard Bay because he thinks Richard Bay is too smug and is too uh, is not knowledgeable enough on these certain things. And I'm really hoping that he reconsiders because what I found is when when that happens, I I, I told him one of two things is going to happen now. Either I'm going to have only the pro hawk side of this argument represented or if i find another person that wants a diplomatic solution they won't be as knowledgeable on this issue as you are and the listeners will then buy into the richard bay perspective on this so i'm hoping that he reconsiders and i'll tell you what i'd like to do is i'd love to forward him because i'd really i was really looking forward to have a great discussion on this tomorrow i'd love to forward this fella a whole bunch of emails from listeners explaining why they think he should still come on this show. So whether you're in favor of a no-fly zone and aid and all this crazy stuff that Zelensky wants and that Biden and Congress seem only too happy to go along with, with the exception being the no-fly zone, or whether your position is similar to mine, whether you prefer a diplomatic end to this war, Email me, and I want to forward your emails to this fella and in the hopes that he will come on tomorrow and engaging in a respectful debate on this discussion, really, on this question. So I'd love to forward him your emails, just like Chris Kringle at Miracle on 34th Street. These letters want a respectful contrary on the Russia issue. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Jesus, but not at all. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. So I uh, got a very interesting response to that um, photo. And who knows if there's anything to this. Maybe there is, maybe there's not. But I got a very interesting response to that photo that I posted on my Facebook page of a horse walking. And um, evidently, whether you see the horse walking forward or backwards in that photo dictates a, or it says a lot about your personality. I don't know if it's true, but a lot of people are commenting. Well, I just came across another one of these images that you can see different things in the image. I just posted it on my Facebook page. I'm not going to tell you what the two images might be. Um, I want you to look at this image that I just posted on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash moranofan. And then before you read the article about what that says about you, type in the comments what the image that you see is. And I don't want to even tell you what what I saw or what the kind of the two options are because I don't want to influence what you're seeing in this image. And then read the article. I will tell you that I found this article pretty on the money at least when it comes to to me. Uh, I think it's a pretty accurate description of my personality. So that's our optical illusion puzzle for the day. Uh, Facebook.com slash Morano fan. Comment first. Say, I see X first, whatever, a cube or a couple of wavy lines, whatever you see, and then read the article and tell me if you think it's accurate. Be curious. Now, um, I tell you who, you know, Molly left, and I don't know who they're going to have as the permanent producer of this program. Certainly a number of uh, very interesting candidates from what I from what I hear. Um, I think one of the people that I'd love to see considered as the new producer of this program is Charlie Sheen. And it's not just because I'm a fan of Charlie Sheen, and I think he's a, a talented actor and everything. Mm-hmm. And has an interesting sense of humor. But I'll tell you, I don't know who runs Charlie Sheen's Facebook page. But every day he is on there with a different interesting question that makes me think and go, huh. And then before I know it, I'm asking the same question that he's asking people to people in my social circle. And then I am, um, you know wondering what listeners would say about this. So such was the case with a question I came across recently on Charlie Sheen's Facebook page. I want to give proper credit where credit's due. And I'm going to ask you the same question that Charlie Sheen asked on his Facebook page. What's one thing you got in trouble for at school? And I'm going to give you my answer, but I want to hear yours doesn't matter whether we're talking grade school, junior high school, or high school. What's one thing that you got in trouble for at school? Tell me. 800-848-9222. That is the question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Uh, Matt Blaze, let's hear your answer. What's, tell me one thing you got in trouble for in school. 
in school. I got I got in trouble a lot for being late to school. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In school for talking in class, I I was a pretty good kid actually. I didn't get in trouble a lot, but I do remember being in trouble for talking and being thrown out of the classroom. But I never got uh, I got in house suspension, uh, which means after school like detention. Detention. So right. I had detention. And and that was for being late to school. Were you ever suspended? No. Okay. So, um, Philippe, how about you? Ever suspended? Ever got detention? Yeah, I was suspended before. I Would got, you, for what? I got suspended three days into uh, my high school career for uh, slapping someone in the face with a turkey sandwich. A turkey sandwich? <laughs> yes. Were they... Like- it was my friend. It was a joke, but they took it as me in trying to incite a food fight. What kind of bread on that turkey sandwich? It was white. Was there mustard on it? There was cheese, I remember, and turkey. What kind of cheese? Uh, that That's a detail that slipped my mind. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, that would affect my determination of um, of the length of the suspension is what kind of cheese. All right. So I'd say I've gotten – I got detention in I think the eighth grade and I think um, I got uh, – yeah, eighth grade detention for talking. It was at lunch – and it was uh, we were being punished collectively. Was it eighth grade? No, it might have been seventh grade, seventh or eighth grade. So uh, I got uh, whatever junior high school. I got in de- detention for talking at lunch when we were being punished. The whole seventh or eighth grade, the whole grade was being punished, and we weren't allowed to talk. And I was res- I responded to a question, a, a quick question about a book. Somebody asked me what book is that, and I uh, and I responded. Then. I um so that I got in trouble for that. It was one day. But I'll tell you, you know, detention back then, after school detention was real detention. You know what we did at that detention? And I don't know if kids do this today, and this was at a public school, IS thirty four. Uh we ended up scraping all of the gum off of all of the lunchroom tables. So you know how the kids stick gum and other stuff? Underneath the lunchroom tables, me, uh, another kid and me spent all of detention scraping this gum with a scraper off of the lunchroom tables. So that was detention. And then in the seventh grade, I got suspended for uh, this is very embarrassing. I th- I've told I've talked about this before, only in my confessional show, my first show back where I talked about ev- all the bad things I've ever done. And all the bad things that were out there about me. In seventh grade, I got in trouble for biting another student. Uh, a student, I was in typing class, and a student had taken a piece of paper. And he was like giving me a hard time. And he he was almost daring me to bite him. So I bit him. And, and you know, it was not a severe bite, but it was enough of a bite. There was a, a decent mark left there. And I got suspended for that. I got three days for that. And a heap of trouble from my parents. You don't even want to know what that was like. That was rough. Um, and then I think that was it. In in high school, I got in trouble a couple times for fighting. But everybody, all those were, all right, you know, shake hands and both of you say you're sorry and you, no, nothing happens to you. And then once I got in detention for arriving late, uh, a, a teacher that I had, a very good teacher, was – tired of me arriving late to school and uh, gave me detention. Um, so I'd be curious what your answer to that is. Tell me one thing that you got in trouble for in school. Extra points for creativity. 
800-848-WABC. Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Frank, it was in first grade, and uh, my grandmother had purchased my brother and I this awesome set of crayons. It was really cool. So I'm sharing with um, a kid that sat in front of me, and they were on the chair in the aisle. And Sister Frances Imelda, she was this big Irish nun, old school. She had to leave the room for a minute. She said, no one get out of their seat. So I I stood up just to get the crayon back. She walked in the room, grabbed me by the collar, Ooh. yelled at me, dragged me in across the hallway into the second grade. And Mrs. Hosell, the second grade teacher, she had this red wooden paddle with blue felt on it. I had to put my hands out. I got two smacks, one on each hand. I started crying in front of the second graders, which were the big kids. And I had to sit in front of the room for the rest of the morning. And I cried for probably an hour. And then I settled down. And it was pretty cool because I got to see what was going on in the second grade. And then at lunchtime on the playground, I was like a celebrity because everybody wanted to know what happened to me. And then I uh, went back into my class in the afternoon, and it was all all over. But it was pretty traumatic. Yeah, I can imagine. That's the kind of thing yeah. that I don't know that you see much of these days. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about this, when I was in the fifth grade, I always had a problem with homework and doing homework. Almost my whole scholastic career, from first grade to college. No, from first grade to graduate school, excuse me. I always had a problem with with homework. And uh, that's why it's important to instill these habits in young people early. Had I licked my homework problem early on, I might have been a better student later on. But I didn't and I wasn't. So in fifth grade, I did not do my homework. And my teacher, uh, Mr. Vigiano, was furious. So he sent me to sit in a kindergarten class and do my homework there. So I had the indignity of needing to you can imagine this as a fifth grader of needing to go to a kindergarten class and politely ask the kindergarten teacher could i stay in here and complete my homework and i mean it was just the most humiliating thing in the world being what how how old are you in fifth grade 10 years old or maybe 11 10 or 11 and you're surrounded by five and six year olds and they're all asking, what are you doing here? It's it's incredibly humiliating. It was a very good punishment, I must say. Uh, Sean is in Park Ridge. Hello, Sean. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I got a, you know, kind of a comical story. Um, there was a, a kid in my class who I was friends with, and he was, you know, very overweight. And there was another kid um, that was, you know, friends with him as well. And they were both in front of me at the end of school one day. And I told the skinnier kid, you know, because he was kind of mocking him out about his weight. Uh, I said, hey, why don't you leave him alone? You know, just knock it off. And I kind of like maybe said it one too many times and I kind of ticked him off. And so what happened was he turned around and dropped his book bag. I totally was in shock because, you know, I was like, you know, pretty athletic and all that. And I just. Uh, it wasn't that I was afraid to fight, but I just wasn't expecting one. Before I knew it, all, there's a circle of kids all around us, and we're outside, uh, you know, on school property still. And um, I grabbed them. I didn't want to hurt them, but I threw them down on the ground. Mm. And I was on top of them, but I didn't really want to hurt them, so I let them up. 
And I figured I won. I could have done anything I wanted to you. And what did he? What does he do when he gets up? He punches me right in the nose. Oh boy! And I have to tell you, right after that, a, a teacher came, and I was in the nurse's. And this is kind of funny, but the nurse sees me, and she says, she sees I'm crying my eyes out, and she goes, "Does your nose hurt that bad? Are you okay?" And I said, "It's not my nose. My father's gonna kill me." <laughs> <laughs> That's and very that's funny. That's all I Sean. can think about. That's very funny. I like that a lot, actually. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Kevin is in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Frank. Yeah, I uh, I actually got in trouble a lot in school, but I can remember one uh, particular instance. Uh, it was in the fifth grade, and it was during the Iran uh, hostage incident. And uh, I showed up to school in a T-shirt. It was a Mickey Mouse T-shirt given a finger, and it said, F I ran on it. Oh boy. And needless to say, they, they weren't too happy about that. <clears throat> you got in trouble just for wearing that t shirt? Well, I mean I guess you can't Correct. wear profanity. It's great and it said F I ran. Yeah, yeah, I, so yeah, I guess you can't I, use that profanity. That's true. They told me I had to go home and change, so uh and come back. They told me to come back, but there was a little luncheonette across the street from school and I was hungry, so once I walked out I said, Yeah, all right. I went across the street and I got me a hamburger and fries and sat down and ate and so Never you went back to school. That oh day. boy! Well, yeah, I can imagine that uh, <laughs> that went over big. I would think uh, that's that's a good one. All right, F.I. ran. Okay, Howard and Elmhurst. How about you? I I gave a crossing guard a nice Christmas present. I threw a snow, in elementary school. I was a pretty quiet, innocent kid, but I threw a snowball at her and got I hit her right in the nose. Oh no! What? Why'd you do that? I don't know. It was fun. I thought oh, at that boy. time. Hmm. I had about 20 kids chasing me through. I was on Cranwell Avenue in the, in the Bronx near Yankee Stadium. They were chasing me through parks till they caught me and brought me to the principal's office. And I had, a, I had to write a letter of apology, and my parents had to come in to see the principal. And I was really scared of my parents at that time. <laughs> yeah, back then people were afraid of their parents. Remember that? All right. Well, I'm glad you turned out on the straight and narrow these days, Howard. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Pat is in New Jersey. Hello, Pat. Hi, Frank. Um, in eighth grade, the boy in back of me was pulling the hair on my arm. So I turned around, told him to stop it. And the art teacher, Miss Garfinkel, said, Miss Stella, go stand in the corner. I was mortified. And this particular boy, when we'd give book reports, he'd ask me all kinds of questions, always bothering me. I ended up marrying him. <laughs> that's very funny i'm glad that worked yeah. out yeah oh okay yeah well congratulations on um carmine's baptism thank you very much appreciate it any suggestions for a uh, uh a mother's day uh a gift for my wife at all or what uh, what expectations there are of me this mother's day um yeah i was gonna say i have three boys usually you get breakfast in bed but Carmine's too young to do anything like that now. Maybe she'd like breakfast in bed from you. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the flowers. Okay. All right. So all the standard stuff, nothing out of the ordinary from what, you, from what you're saying, I guess. Well, unless she has a charm bracelet and you want to get her a charm with Carmine's name on it, or they have those little gold charms with, you know, heads of little boys and okay. whatnot. All right. Well, that's an idea. Thank you, Pat. 800-848-WABC. Mike is in Manhattan. How did you get in trouble in school? 
Well, I was the class clown. And one thing, I'd actually forgotten about this. One thing I used to do is I used to prove I could do things like I would stick my fist in my mouth or put my leg behind my head and like I do all these like contortionist things like like I bet you can't do this I would do it and I'd amuse the kids and then the the nun would come in and like with you know smack me around but the interesting thing was I'd kind of forgotten about this and my wife who was a book agent was talking to a potential client over lunch about doing his memoirs of the Bronx and uh she was well you know my uh, my man he's uh he was from the Bronx too, and he goes, "Well, I went to Catholic school. Well, he went to Catholic school. Where to go? St. Nicholas of Tallentine. I went to St. Nicholas of Tallentine. Did you know a guy called Mike? You know, well, it wasn't from Manhattan at the time. It was in the Bronx. Goes, yeah, he was that kid who who distracted me for years in the class. <laughs> I couldn't get anything done because he kept on sticking his fist in his mouth <laughs> and his and sticking, kept on putting his leg behind his his head. And it was funny. I forgot about this. Now, besides being a book agent, she was also a stand-up comic. And I, I do like spoken word, you know, poetry, you know, in front of audiences. And I said, do you do you realize that, that this happened 50 years ago and this kid still remembers me? I killed when I was 10. You know, kind of <laughs> can you can like, you still stick your hand in your mouth? I can your barely fist? move my legs. My arthritis <laughs> is so bad. All right. But but it's like one of the things like I had totally forgotten about. It. Like you think you were a great stand-up comic. Well, will people remember you fifty years later for the funny things you That's did? That's very will funny. They remember Mike. me? That's very funny. Hey, I got an email here from Tom's, who writes: I once got into trouble when I got into the auditorium and started playing the drums that were there for the jazz band. I played for about ten minutes, and a couple of people were there, and finally a security guard grabbed me. I was tasked with polishing all the instruments in the da- jazz room. Well. That strikes me as an appropriate punishment. By the way, um, we're going to continue with your calls in just a second. But um, yesterday there was some controversy during the $1,000 minute because there was a woman named Lori. I think this happened with several people yesterday. There was a woman named Lori who called in and she was going to be the contestant. And then she called back. But before she called back, Avery Brooks selected another contestant. So I felt like Lori sort of got cheated out of an opportunity to participate in it. So I said we would have Lori back today do this. Do we have Lori's number? We do. Okay, great. So you're going to be able to call Lori when we do the thousand dollar. Great. Good stuff. Thank you. By the way, um, sincerely, uh, in spite of my um, occasional criticisms, both Matt and uh, Philippe doing a great job today, as uh, as is Alex Barnard, who has done a yeoman's job the last few days posting the the Facebooks and if you, the Facebook, uh, not Facebook, the podcast descriptions. And a lot of people have been remarking about how uh, he has maintained that Molly-esque tradition of clever episode descriptions and episode titles. So uh, my thanks to Philippe, Matt Blaze, and uh, Alex Barnard. Joe is on the New Jersey Turnpike. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank, listen, I went to an all-boy private high school in Brooklyn. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was Severian High School. In senior year, we had to do a religious retreat. And as you're 17 in senior year, you thought you were a man. So you hated going. You take us to Shelter Island, and you were holed up there. And you had to meet with all these brothers and spill your guts. And all. So anyway, I got a roommate, one of my classmates. I bought a bottle of Jack Daniels with me. I thought I'd at least have a good weekend. Well, my roommate gets busted oh. for drinking. Yeah, yeah, he gives me up like a heart attack. <laughs> so they throw us both, throw us both off the island. But 
before they throw us off, now they have to call your parents. My mother and father separated. Never gave my mother's number out. I gave my father's number out. And now, why did you do that? Was on. that because he was easier well, on you? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh-huh. So he, See, my so case was just this, my case was almost always the opposite. I would do just the opposite. Oh, no. So they called them and must have made a big thing, uh, you know, and said, oh, your son, you know, he got caught with this bottle. And the teacher came back and she was boggled to me. When they were getting ready to throw us off, she said, I called your father. And I said, okay, you know, what am I going to do? You called my father. She said, uh, he had a strange message. I said, what was it? He said, well, at 17, he was island hopping in the Marine Corps. And he said, tell him to get his ass to work right away. And that was it. That was it. And I got suspended for a week for that. A week? A week. Wow. A week. I almost, I almost got thrown out of that school. And I said, oh, no, four years of an all-boy high school to get thrown out of this. It wasn't until the next retreat they threw the whole retreat off. I said, thank God these guys did it. And I got saved and I got pulled back in. Wow. All right, Joe. That's some story. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Tom is in Staten Island. Hello, Tom. Hey, Frank. How are you? Uh, I got a story about getting in trouble in school. Uh, We just got into class, and there was a girl in front of me that liked me. I liked her. We always used to fool around, and I was pulling her hair. So she was wearing these heels, and she stomped on my foot, and it hurt. But she had a can of hairspray on her desk, so I took it, and I started spraying her with it. So the teacher took me and put me into the back of the class. But then what happened was funny was that a little while later, while she was collecting homework, the teacher, she had asked the girl who uh, stomped on my foot, where's your homework? And she didn't have it. So I started cracking up really loud. I was like a clown. So the teacher says, please don't entertain him. Ignore him. So now she just threw me out into the hallway so I couldn't bother anybody. But I thought that was funny at the time. Uh, That is funny. (laughs) But anyway, I was a class clown. I I, I would get in trouble, but not to the point where I get suspended because I was on the baseball team and I didn't want to, you know, be suspended for that reason. But I guess I pushed the limits at times. Yeah, well, I guess I guess we all do, I guess, or did. Thank you very much, Tom. 800-848-9222. Frankie is in Glendale. Hello, Frankie. Hey, good morning, Frank. Listen, uh, did you press uh, post uh, in regards to the Facebook photo? Because I'm looking for it, and I can't find it. Um, we, we, oh, yeah, yeah, it's there. People are commenting on it. Um, I don't want to reveal what people's comments are saying. Okay. Make make sure you're looking on my Facebook page, not in the Facebook group. Okay, which is just Frank Morano. No, yeah, All just right. Facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. All right, I'll look it up. Okay, and then you'll see Thanks. you'll see uh, exactly what I'm what I'm talking right. about. There's an image you can yeah, see you can... one of two possible things to it. And there's an article attached to it, and it'll tell you what that says about your personality. I read the description of the analysis, and uh, I thought it was pretty accurate with me. All right. Yesterday, I thought that one, I thought the horse was walking away. That's it. Well, walking forward, you mean? Well, it would have been walking in the forward direction, but away from the picture. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, maybe right. it is. Thank you, Joe. Um, excuse me. Thank you, Frankie. Let me say hello to Joe in Riverhead. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Thanks for another great show. Sure. Um, when I was a kid in school, it was the 70s, and I was a pretty good student. You know, I was like straight A's. And then something happened. I don't know if it was puberty or what, mm. but I went down the tubes academically. And, uh, you know, there was no money in the house. 
and I, we, they just started making computerized report cards. And you could change the Fs to Bs with a number two pencil. Oh, boy. And I started doing that for snack cakes in the cafeteria, and I got caught. After three years of failure and expulsion, my parents thought I was on a roll the whole time. <laughs> and I got I got pretty blasted for that. Wait, wait, so did you get expelled? Um, no, actually, I, I, I ended up quitting. They, they threatened to expel me, and they said, if you quit, you can come back. Uh, and I, you know, I got my GED and all that stuff, but, uh, I, you know, and slow, gradually the technology got better and it, the ink became indelible. Right. You couldn't right. change it. But, but the first year of the, of the technology, it was really easy. I think one of them got, got wet by accident and it ran. And I was like, wait a minute. And I had a couple of F's on there, like science. I never went to, so I failed that. And I changed it to a B and, uh, Lo and behold, a, a new school age business was born. Uh, I clearly, For a few years I did that. Clearly, yeah, that's yeah, something, Joe. Um, <laughs> so, did you end up after you quit? Did you end up going back to that school? No, I, I didn't go back. You to didn't high go back. I went to work. I went to. You, uh, you said you got your GED, right? Yeah, yeah I wasn't I sure if there was another in, uh, another ten a rain at that at that school. Thank you, Joe. Jeffrey's in Connecticut. Jeffrey, why'd you get in trouble in school? Uh, well, uh, was I uh, my. Sophomore year of high school, it was an all-boys uh, Catholic high school in Connecticut. And um, we, there was a small group of us that were, <clears throat> pardon me, we were uh, charged with being janitors. It was my first job, actually. Uh, after school, you just go to your locker, change your clothes, and you start your janitorial duties, and you get paid every weekend. Anyway, a friend of mine, we had keys to everything. We had keys to the cafeteria. We had keys to everything, including the teacher's lounge. Friend of mine got into the teacher's lounge, got his hands on this biology test that everybody was worried about. Well, unbeknownst to him, he copied the answers, put the test back in the teacher's mailbox. But unbeknownst to him, there were two different tests. So somehow the following day, he decides he's going to share these. Uh, you know, I saw the answers, but I had studied for the test. I studied my ass off for this test. Anyway, by fourth period the following day, the teacher knew something was wrong because half of the school was coming in with the same set of answers. Oh, boy. Turning the test in in like, you know, three minutes. And she's realizing that all these answers are the same for test A and test B. So she knew right away. Well, it wasn't long before they were able to deduct that the only way people were going to keep their hands on this test was if they had keys to the teacher's lounge. And a bunch of our janitors, <clears throat> we were all in trouble. And so what was what was the punishment? Uh, we almost got thrown out. There was one kid. There were two kids that were egregious uh, with sharing these answers once they had gotten their hands on them from my, my friend. Those two kids got kicked out of school. We, the people that actually had access to the test, they made us work the rest of the year without pay. And that was our punishment Oof. well I, I i don't i can understand that one sounds like you got off easy there jeffrey um hey so i'm being informed now that Lori, who was robbed yesterday cannot play the thousand dollar minute what's the story here matt plays why can Lori not participate is she has is she contracted with another talk show she's currently at work she's currently at work all right yes. well apparently there was another guy jimmy that got screwed by avery yesterday so um, I told him that he could play on Thursday. So let's call this guy Jimmy and see if he's awake. I'll send you his number. And if uh, he can play, we'll go to him. 
And if he can't play, then we'll just do the the seventh caller. So give Jimmy a call, see if he's he's up for it. Meanwhile, we'll talk to Mike in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Frank? You know, to sum up my my uh, my school days is two ways. First of all, we had our 40th anniversary, you know, for uh, grammar school a few years back, and the principal was there. And I went up to her and I say, hey, sister, why don't you take me out in the dance floor and smack me around for old times' sake? <laughs> that was one. That tells you what kind of kid I was. And then I was so smart that after 10th grade, they skipped me right to life. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one, Mike. Thank you. All right. Eight... <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. That's very good. Hey, and, you know, meantime, my obsession with all types of infomercials, especially food-related ones, continues. I'm just looking, and this is without any sound. I'm looking. One of the screens has on an infomercial for the Blend Jet Blender. All I could think is, I need to order this. I need to order. I'm, I get hypnotized by these infomercials. And meanwhile, I already have a neutral bullet, which does looks like the exact same thing. But I'm looking at all these neat smoothies you can make with the Blend Jet and how easy it is to clean. I'm thinking I got to get one of those. And then I looked up a week ago the reviews comparing the blend jet to the Nutribullet because this is not a new observation that I'm having, that I have to get this, I have to get this, I have to get this. And most of the reviews say the Nutribullet, which I already have, is superior to the blend jet blender. And yet I still need to stop myself from ordering that blend jet blender. It's very, I don't know what they do. They've got some sort of, and I'm not even joking about this totally. They've got some sort of subliminal messaging in these infomercials, which makes you unable to resist. It's like, it's some sort of mild hypnotism in these infomercials. I believe that. Uh, It's really, it's really crazy because it doesn't matter what it is for. And it doesn't matter if it's stuff that I don't even do. Home repair? I don't do any home repair. And yet there's something for a new tool or a new uh, a new version of that that stuff that, that clogs up leak. I don't even know what this stuff does, but I still want to order it. Or some newfangled hose. I saw a commercial for a new hose the other day. I said, oh, my. I, I, mean, I have four hoses that I don't use enough. And I've got to get that home. All right. We're going to play the $1,000 Minute in just a minute with Jimmy, who was robbed yesterday. And uh, we're going to see if he can have if he has what it takes to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If he does, then he will be $1,000 richer. Oh, yeah. No tricks. No loopholes. We're going to play it next. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man You study him hard and hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone And the guy behind you won't leave you alone Ring, ring goes the bell The cook in the lunchroom ready to sell You're lucky if you can find You're fortunate if you have time to eat 
Love this song. Um, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Marano with you until 5 o'clock this morning when uh, you'll get to hear the 77 WABC early news. And then um, you'll get to hear the Bernie and Sid show from 6 until 10. The guests on the Bernie and Sid show today include Congressman Peter King, who I got to spend some time with at the game yesterday. Um, you know, my son is part Irish, and Peter King is is very proud of his Irish heritage. And so my son had this Irish walking cap on, which was the hit of the game yesterday. And Pete King, you know, was so into this hat that my son was wearing. If you want to see the hat, I posted a photo. It's on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano fan. That's facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. All right. So it is time for us to play. The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. And let's meet today's contestant, Jimmy in Brooklyn. Jimmy, hello. Good morning, Frank. So, Jimmy, tell me about the controversy that uh, you were enveloped in yesterday. What happened? It really wasn't a controversy. I think it was just uh, a little bit of a mistake because uh, I believe I was the seventh caller, the gentleman that answered the phone. That's what he told me. And then in about (laughs) – in a matter of two seconds, he hung up on me. So Mm. it was obviously a mistake. I tried calling back, and it was busy, 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 busy. Then I texted you and let you know about the problem, and you straightened it out. Uh, well, good. Hopefully, hopefully that means uh, that uh, you're in store for a lucky, lucky day today. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. Look, with uh, with the King Chuck Berry playing right before the game, I think maybe he'll give me some luck. Uh, uh, let's hope so. By the way, if people didn't know that was Chuck Berry, or if they ever want to know what songs we're playing as bumper music uh join the facebook group we post them in there after every show uh just search on facebook morano radio fans and haters all right the timer is going to begin after i ask the first question and uh, if you get the questions right we're just going to move on to the next one so that we can answer as many of these as possible right sounds good frank okay what color are stop signs red What 1973 Supreme Court decision legalized abortion nationwide? Roe Wade. What's the name of the current pope? Uh, Pope John Paul? No. The current current pope is Pope Francis. Pope Francis, and I knew that. Well, all evidence to the contrary, Jimmy. Yes, obviously, Frank. You know, yeah, you know, it's like um, you, 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 what you tell people not to do is what I did. I got flustered. I hear you. I've been there. I tried to play beat Bernie, and uh, I, uh, I similarly choked uh, in my first appearance. All right, Jimmy, I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to send you a uh, consolation prize. Okay, give um, give uh, Philippe your address. Okay. Yes, I will, Frank. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. You got. You can't get flustered, guys. You can't get nervous. I know it's easier said than done, but that's really the key. These are easy questions. 
I never thought he would get that wrong because Jimmy's a well-informed guy. You could tell. He listens to this show. Um, all right. By the way, I'm getting a, a number of SMS text messages, uh, including from Frank Fiore, whose opinion I really respect. He said the blend jet is awesome. Convenience is the key. I love it. Well, the Nutribullet is pretty convenient. So I like Frank Fiore because he purchased some WABC, some other side of Midnight merchandise, and then did what I asked, as uh, Chris Gambino did, and posted a photo of himself wearing it in the Facebook group. Uh, By the way, there was somebody yesterday that posted, that did something similar, that they, yeah, it was um, Jody Ann. She posted the beer stein in the Facebook group, but she said that she had been using it for hot tea and it started leaking. So now she uses it to hold her pens. Now, I was going to say that, uh, you know, I think they actually discontinued temporarily offering these beer steins in the WABC radio store. But um, maybe that's why, maybe because it was leaking, but I think it was because she wasn't using it for proper use. I have to tell you, I've developed another real problem. I keep purchasing stuff from this WABC radio store. So right now I'm wearing this Stage 77 jacket, bomber jacket. It's cool. It's kind of like a a half sweatshirt, half jacket. I love it. I'm going to wear it every day as long as it's clean and the weather's appropriate. And then uh, I wore it to the ball game yesterday. I got compliments on it from everybody including Margot Katsimatidis. And so I was in such a pro-WABC mood yesterday, I ordered, and I'm not allowed to bring any more mugs into my house, but I saw the picture Chris Gambino posted of the other side of Midnight Mug, and ours was pilfered. I ordered a Frank Morano mug and of the other side of Midnight Mug. So I'm thinking I'll give one, I'll give them away to friends or family um, because, because they look so cool. Maybe I'll give one to my mother, maybe one to my mother-in-law, so they have it. It's kind of neat. And then I ordered the WABC beach towel, which looks pretty neat as well. So if you want, whatever you end up ordering on uh, WABCRadioStore.com, that's WABCRadioStore.com. We've got a lot of great Frank Morano-related merchandise on there. And uh, whatever you end up ordering, if you use the discount code FRANK15, you'll save 15% off. That's a discount code Frank15. Meanwhile, I was talking about that blend jet, and I uh, I heard from another one of our listeners, Albert DiGiulio, who um, said he's got the blend jet, and he loves it. So now I'm reconsidering. Uh, now I might have to reallocate some of the money that I've been purchasing on these W wabcradiostore.com products and buy the blend jet instead. But I do like smoothies. I do try and make them uh, as often as I can. Now, so the reason I mentioned Albert is because Albert invited me Thursday night to this cigar. Oh, actually, it's not this Thursday. It's next Thursday. Okay, good. I thought I was going to have a conflict. I can be at that next Thursday. But let me tell you about this anyway. He invited me to this Lyrics for Lucas event on May 19th. Uh, yeah, May 19th at uh, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. 
It's a cigar and cocktails event. It's a it's a fundraiser, and I'm going to be there. And if you're interested in going, I think tickets are six two hundred and fifty dollars, and uh, it's a great cause, which I'm going to tell you about in a second. But you can have cigars and cocktails with me. Uh, looks like a lot of fun, and they're basically. Albert writes this letter to, and he says, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, as parents, one of our worst fears was something that something would hor- horrible would happen to one of our children. And as now a parent, I can empathize with this. He says, on February 13th, 2016, our worst fear became reality. Our son Lucas passed away at the age of, passed away in his sleep at the age of 23 months. Never did we think that when we put our beautiful baby to sleep that it would be the last time we had ever seen him alive. The next morning when Lucas's dad went to wake him, he was gone. We were left with no answers as to why our precious son Lucas died. Since Lucas was over the age of one, his passing is not considered SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. His death was ruled sudden unexplained death in childhood, SUDSI, which occurs when an apparently healthy child beyond the age of 12 months, dies without war- without warning and without a cause. So soon after they lost their son, they learned about this Sud C Foundation. And it's a foundation that was created 21 years ago as part of a larger nonprofit devoted to helping uh, support families with Sud C. And apparently this foundation is making a lot of progress. And I'm going to be at this fundraiser on May 19th. And it looks like not only will it be a lot of fun if you like cigars and cocktails, I'm not going to have too many because it's going to be a night that I have to do the show. But if you want to go to this, uh, you can find out more information at lyricsforlucas.org. It's lyricsforlucas.org. And uh, hopefully I'll see you there. Okay, good. So I I had another conflict this Thursday. I thought it was going to be the same day. But apparently it's uh, not the same day, so I can be at that whole thing. So that's good. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything that we're talking about thus far. Um, And then I will, um, you know, actually I'll hold my what I was going to say until until tomorrow. The other story that I did want to mention before we ran out of time here is a very bizarre story. And apparently, more than 200 sailors have been moved off an aircraft carrier, the USS George Washington, after multiple suicides among the crew. Ready for this? This is according to the Navy. This is not a conspiracy theory or an Internet meme. Three... In less than one week in April, that's according to the Navy. So the sailors are now moving to a local Navy installation as this nuclear-powered aircraft carrier continues to go through a years-long refueling and overhaul process at the shipyard in uh, Virginia. Over the past 12 months, you ready for this? Listen to this. Over the past 12 months, seven members of the crew have died, including four by suicide. This is on one ship. Four sailors in a year killed themselves on the same ship. So now the Navy is opening an investigation into the command climate and the culture aboard this carrier.
The commanding officer, Captain Brent Gout, made the decision to allow sailors living on board the ship to move to other accommodations. So I find this incredibly bizarre and incredibly peculiar. So now the ship's command is working to identify sailors who could benefit from and desire the support services and morale, welfare, and recreation programs that are available in local Navy facilities. And the Navy is in the process of setting up temporary accommodations for these sailors. What do you think this is? I mean, that's scary. Could it be something on the ship? Maybe some sort of nuclear material that's messing with these sailors' brains? Or is it a very just tough captain that's mistreating sailors? Is it like a a few good men situation? Are there code reds going on there? I um, I found that very, you know, in fact, it's a story that I didn't believe right away because it struck me as so strange. But apparently it's true. The Navy's confirming it. So uh, I, I hate to hear that. I mean, we have a big problem with veteran suicide in this country, both for active duty and retired servicemen. And uh, I've been very involved with this group. Tony Lobianco was uh, talking to me about it when he was on the show last called the gold shield, which is trying to bring an end to veteran suicide. Uh, and if you want to learn more about them, you can go to the simple But to me, it's the simple This is even more frightening because this is not people necessarily dealing with PTSD or traumatic brain injury. This is a situation where these are sailors on active duty on the same ship, four of them. It's crazy. At, at least four. We don't know how the other three people died. Whew. All right. Um, on, a more, on a more upbeat note, we will give you an opportunity to comment on any subject for 15 seconds when we return. If you have a comment, make it 15 seconds or less, and we will let you comment on it. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 15 seconds of fame. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight. As you heard Andy B. say there, if you're just tuning in, um, children in America and in England are fatter than ever and are getting fatter more quickly than ever. 
Today is Star Wars Day. There is no consensus on the proper order to watch the Star Wars films. I was at the Staten Island Ferry Hawks game. I saw their first ever win. And uh, little Carmine Morano was a big hit for his first baseball game, as uh, Rita Cosby said. He was the star of the park. Amazon is secretly tailoring uh, ads to eavesdropped conversations that Alexa is providing. Stephen Bassett is uh, on a one-man mission to get the truth out about the UAP movement. And senators on the Intelligence and Foreign Relations Committee are, or Armed Services Committee, rather, are not at all happy with the Pentagon dragging their feet on that subject. I went to the dentist yesterday. Apparently, according to both my dental hygienist and the dentist, I have perfect gums and beautiful teeth. A lot of folks, a lot more folks than I realize, don't even use garbage pails. They use just straight sanitation bags. The martini is making a comeback. My wife wants to go to a park to have a picnic for Mother's Day. And I once bit a child in the seventh grade. Not the second grade, but yes, the seventh grade. And uh, Avery apparently did a horrible job on the $1,000 Minute yesterday. And who knows how many people have been cost that opportunity to win $1,000 because of Avery's inability to handle eight phone lines listening simultaneously. And lastly, it's looking more and more like I may have to purchase a blend jet, which will come as uh, a great uh, disappointment to my wife, who believes we don't even have the room for the existing appliances that we have. If you want to comment on that or anything else, you have 15 seconds to do so because it is now time for... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of faith. Fred in Yonkers. Hey, I know we were up against it yesterday, but my punchline fell like a sequoia in Mirror Woods. We want the flory dories. We want the flory dories. Ralph in New Jersey. I want to ask sometimes who is Flory Dory, but, you know, I, I, I take this opportunity to condemn and denounce Russia and the foreign minister of Russia for this trophy, uh, this drivel and canard about Hitler and the Jews. He, he is definitely... Charlie Finch in the East Village. I love Bobby Watlington. Have you figured out who he is yet, Frank Morano? I was the only deplorable in my neighborhood here in little Ukraine, and now I'm the only peacenik. Peace in Ukraine. Putin can just go to ceasefire tomorrow if the blob, the foreign policy establishment, doesn't keep fighting this war. Teddy on Broadway. You always, Frankie, well, you keep talking about uh, a suicide on uh, carriers. Perhaps this is happening because there's still not Air Canada jets landing in uh, LaGuardia and Kennedy Airport. We cannot take the info. Rick in Virginia Beach. I'm your sweet man, baby, tell me when I bat you by Woo, 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 woo Cause all my players are guaranteed To satisfy Larry in Brooklyn Frank, I refer you to Woody Allen's second book Without Feathers And the Beamish Brothers Who are also proud of their gums <laughs> Bob in Queens 
Yes, when the Democrats had the opportunity to name a Supreme Court justice, the Republicans blocked it. When the Republicans had the opportunity, under the same circumstances, they used he has an obligation to fill the position. What happened to the obligation that Obama had to fill the position? Oh, I'm sorry, hypocrite. Albert in New Jersey. Morning, Frank. Uh, again, thank you for promoting the Lyric for Lucas event. It will be May 19th, and the fundraiser is to help us build a national sudden unexplained death and childhood playground at Hershey Park. So, again, thank you for promoting for us. Absolutely. Looking forward to being there. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, and finally, Joseph in Newburgh. Wake up, Wappinger's Falls. I told a great story about the lightsaber where it originated. No one called it. Wake up, Wapagers Falls. Uh, you know what? I can't disagree with him. They should wake up a lot earlier, at least at 1 a.m. Deb Valentine, the early news is next. Frank Moreno, good day.